Welcome back, everybody, new and returning listeners to the UW Film Club podcast. Um, we've been on a very long hiatus, and we're excited to uh, to share with you some of our uh, exciting memories of 2020 in film. I'm your host, Jim Saunders, and joining me is Cynthia Lee, Rohan Patel, Piper Coiner, Joel Garcia, Stephanie Chuang, and Isaac Flores. How are you all? Could be better. Could be worse, though. You know. Yes, that's true. Yeah. That's true. As always, yeah. Okay. I'm it's excited th- to talk about all of these, though. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 2020, well, first off, uh, we're recording this on the second day of spring quarter 2021. <clears throat> um, and so we're almost already in April. And it seems it seems a little weird and a little late at this point to be going back. You know, this is four months ago that 2020 ended. But that's also just kind of in the spirit. Everything's changing. Uh, 2020 was obviously a very tumultuous year, socially and politically and in every sense of the word. I hope uh, sincerely that everyone, all of our listeners are are doing well, that they're safe, that they're healthy, that they have a good support system, their mental health is in check. I hope that in some part, this, this podcast can provide some levity. Um, we don't take ourselves very seriously, except for the fact that we're putting value on art. Our opinion matters the most. Whatever <laughs> anyone thinks otherwise is wrong. We yeah, are this is, objective. This is the only way to think. Mm-hmm. We're the film gods. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you realize that I've been writing for IndieWire and the New York Times and all these places <laughs> for like the past year. So I take my opinions very seriously. Those in-depth analysis right here. Yeah. Did you see the, uh, I don't know, uh twitter recommended this one like this one thread to me that was just like i've i've uh i saw like the 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 afi screening of wings and i've studied kurosawa and i've written two screenplays you don't know anything about me i don't know my god (laughs) that was just it wasn't even like a popular thread it just got recommended to me out of nowhere it's just some person (laughs) yeah it's just some person and it just became it just became some some like copy pasta thread and i'm like i'm i'm (laughs) I'm here for this. Kurosawa, um, the biggest Japanese director. <laughs> but I kind of wanted to, um, to before we really get into it, I know we don't really have like a ton of time, but just like some of your, I want to talk about like some of your fondest memories of 2020, like in art in general, not just in film. Well, this movie is not on any of our lists because we would consider it 2019. But my fondest memory is watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire with everyone in a theater. I think it was one of our last movies, at least for me, one of the last movies I saw in theater. That was a very mind-blowing experience. It was in 2020 somehow. Yeah, and it was somehow. I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, so that would be key for me. Yeah. What about everyone else? Sorry. I think the performance of... It was like the the medieval boys. Well, I guess they were boys. The medieval kind of men's choir um, that accompanied the path of Joan of Arc. I've been mm-hmm. thinking about that a lot because I just had to rewatch the film for class, and that was just such an incredible, transcendent, amazing experience um, where we all packed in a mini hall and saw this silent film accompanied by live music, and there was so much emotion. Uh, I forgot that one was twenty twenty as well. God, right. Fuck. Feels like feels like a whole different lifetime. That was incredible. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, I mean, I spent most of the time just at, like the first six months of lockdown just at my parents' house, and so and I got a job. So like, I mean, my fondest memory of art was like working my butt off and then coming back and having no physical energy whatsoever. So like, and I would just lay down on a couch 
and watch the entire before trilogy in one night <laughs> and like cry and fall in love and then cry some more. That was a that was a that was a ride. So I'd say that was that was a pretty solid memory. But like yeah, like Portrait, I was there. Passion of Joan of Arc, I was there too. Those were amazing, amazing times. I miss those times too. For me, it was uh, I had a really, um, admittedly, I had a very, uh, a very difficult summer at home, which is like part of the reason that I, uh, I'm in Seattle now. But I, so I would just watch a lot of cartoons, honestly. Like I watched like Kim Possible, and I watched uh, like the entirety of Star Wars: The Clone Wars, and that stuff was therapy for me. And Phoebe Bridgers, and. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, Phoebe yeah. Bridgers was also therapy for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, one of the best things for nostalgia is go on YouTube and just listen to the theme songs of every cartoon you've ever heard in your childhood. It's it's a it's a wild ride. I've done that many times. Well, over the summer, oh man, this feels like it was ages ago too. Uh, <laughs> I I got Ghost of Tsushima based on Kurosawa's. Uh, films is one of the game modes so that was cool but they also recently announced they're apparently making a ghost of tsushima uh movie i don't know we'll see how that goes it's probably going to be terrible because i can't think of any video game movies that are actually decent but who knows you know i'll be optimistic i think you're oh, just yeah. battleship <laughs> battleship yeah. so hard right uh, rihanna with rihanna <laughs> and aliens <laughs> That's the epitome of America right there. Prince of Persia was awful. Aren't they supposed to make like oh some Halo? <laughs> Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal was really hot, even yeah. though he was like in the plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One big milestone for me was that I finally finished CSI. <laughs> <clears throat> Which I started watching in 2020. And it has been a multi-month journey because that shit is 15 seasons um, it's long. And so there's that. I also, I rewatched the Harry Potter movies. I binged those in three days. Um, and that was also a lot. And so that was good uh, as far as art art goes. Um, but I miss our Oscar party. Like, that's a fond yeah. memory that I, uh-huh. that was like <laughs> end of February or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right before we all had to leave. And so... I, I missed that. That was a fun time. Parasite won and everybody stood up. It was it was a moment. I, I was so it. sad. Sorry to interrupt you, Isaac. I was so sad I couldn't <laughs> make it to that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to all my children, Joel. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I'm thinking like my two moments of like absolute euphoria and joy from 2020 were both connected to film club where like First, Parasite won Best Picture, and we all like stood up and screamed. And then, secondly, when we learned that Trump had tested positive for COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! I just said, "Club, we break news." (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Trump might be on his deathbed. (laughs) Um, I also wanted to uh, push for the television series Rami. It's so good. Um, it came out, I think, first in 2019, and I, then I think his second season in 2020. And he's won like a Golden Globe and maybe an Emmy for it. Um, it's it's so so good, um, and that that really helps me in quarantine. What did I do? Fund I watched it. like uh, I watched Sat and Tonga, which was cool because it was so long. <laughs> but I, I was down the hill. 
it, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. So watch it next time. You have like seven spare hours and you're in a good mood because it'll put you in a bad one. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I watched like Arl Tarkovsky's filmography at the start of the pandemic. So yeah, just really like dug into the existentiality of it all. So yeah, good time. And normal people was a fun series. Oh yes, normal people. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah, that was very pandemic y because that was like what, March, April? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was cozy. Yeah. <laughs> It's so yeah. weird to be nostalgic for like a year ago because it sucked. Like I was so uncertain and anxious and everything, but I'm like looking back on it fondly in a weird way. Yeah, right. I don't know. It's such a strange time where like it's like, hopefully you know, it's like, we get to see each other in person. Yeah, it's <laughs> coming out. So like, mm-hmm. if we all want to stand like hundreds of yards away, you know. And I have been like, mulling over the logistics of a possible Oscar party. Fuck! Oh, please, please, please. We want it too. We're just we like took a trip. We took a field trip to Paddleford to see if we could set something up in your garage. <laughs> we, we are so desperate. We are trying. We really that are. Too cold. That sounds. I don't know. That well, it might like be warm. I and, like it. Yeah, it, it's getting warmer. It might be plugs yeah. or something. And it starts at like five o'clock, so you still have sun up by the time it starts and ends. But there was like a look at like a railing and I was like, okay, if we like hung a sheet over this railing and we took up a couple parking spots and no it's 5 p.m. No one will be here. That's legal, right? <laughs> it's all in our head right now. Oh my gosh. We'll bring some blankets. We'll get covered. <laughs> I was on the quad this afternoon and I was like looking at everybody touching and all these couples cuddling and i was like i miss touching other human beings like (laughs) being close proximity to other people i'm so jealous when we gave out ice cream to everybody that was like reviving like could have restarted my heart (laughs) i was like when did we give out ice cream but no yes that was the first time isaac i feel like i keep unintentionally (laughs) i just said it was cold outside it, it was, was like so freezing. Yeah, it was a bit cold. Just just a wee bit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was the first time I had seen any of you guys in person since February of the year before. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. That and, was surreal. I, and like and only very brief new members. Because it was snowing and I wanted to like let you guys go along. Not <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening, thanks for being a real person. Because that was cool to see. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we can all get vaccinated soon. Are, are any of you guys vaccinated yet? I got my first shot. Oh, Piper, shit. Oh, so is Isaac. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I literally want to come clean about it. Like, <laughs> because because I have been socializing with people and I don't want you to think I'm irresponsible. <laughs> I've been vaccinated since like January because my, my dad is a dentist. Yeah. Um, oh, shit. Like, yeah, it just, it just worked out. Um, so I felt really guilty about it because I was like, you know, some poor like elderly person could be using this but then at the same time live in a really rural area and like i don't really think people were getting the vaccine when they heard of so i mean they do have to give it out like you know they open a vial and it's like five doses and whoever is available i just got it because i volunteer at like the homeless shelter and they emailed us saying we're eligible now and i signed up yeah i'm a restaurant worker so that's why i'm getting mine it was such 
a relief when my dad got vaccinated because he's like working with other people spitting blood and stuff all day. And I was just like <laughs> worried for the whole year that he was going to kill us all somehow, you know? My, I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I just can't, like, he just like randomly, um, a spot opened up on like New Year's Eve and it was the best present I could have had. For sure. That peace of mind. But, and we um, had to do school. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, school's gotten like harder, but also easier at the same time. I don't know about you guys, but like my classes, like they really, I don't know. I feel like I've lost a little bit on education than I normally would have without all of this going on. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I'm confident that when I go back to school, I'm not going to know how to take a test and I'm going to fail and I'm not going to learn how to, (laughs) like I forgot how to study. Like I genuinely think I forgot how to properly study. I've like forgotten how to take notes in classes yeah. i just don't do it anymore same yeah oh god okay. last quarter for some of us last quarter <laughs> i have a proctored exam this quarter so <laughs> yeah like how the hell this is an infringement <laughs> my fucking privacy <laughs> dude no seriously yeah it's through zoom i don't know how it's like how they're gonna do it actually so i don't know it sounds weird but I have a right to cheat now. It's been developed, so <laughs> I have to file a complaint. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've seen a lot like on the UW Reddit of um, of teachers really cracking down on, acad- on academic integrity. Mm-hmm. Oh, a, yeah. Like a quarter, a third of, of whole big lectures trying to get away with it via Chegg or whatever. Oh yeah, no. Well, you yeah, deserve yeah. to be caught 1. if you're 4. dumb 5. enough to <laughs> your whole test on the Chegg. <laughs> At the <laughs> designated test time. I saw a post, it was like a math 124 class. And was yes. Like, yeah, it was yeah. third of the class. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like more of the like, who really cares? Um, like C's get degrees type of, like I don't care if someone else cheats as long as it doesn't affect me type of, type of attitude now. I think I am that way too, yeah. I used to be such a goody two-shoes and now I'm just like, well, you know, like in your job, you're gonna need to know how to look things up in a short amount of time. And that's exactly what cheating on tests teaches you how to do. That is what computer science is, what I have learned. <laughs> Every software developer computer. is hiding behind Stack Overflow Google questions. No yep. one knows what is going on. We are all just Google, we just look it up on Stack Overflow. Uh, I finally got through my first CS class. I actually really enjoyed 160. I'm taking 163 this quarter now. What are the 60s? What does that designate? 63 is Uh, Python, right? Yeah, it's more Python. It's just another language. (laughs) Maybe I should have majored in CS. I don't know. Bioengineering has disappointed me. (laughs) Well, before Isaac descends into the crisis. Movies? Movies, yes. (laughs) So... Um, we're going to do things a little bit differently than we have in years past, um, because just for the sake of time, um, we're all going to go around and say our bottom five, um, and whichever movies, uh, whichever movies, uh, are unique to each of our lists, we'll go ahead and point those out and talk a little bit more about those. And then after that, go down the list from five to one into, um, the top five films or the not top five films but all the films uh that uh are common are common recurrences throughout everyone's list or are are each other's top five i hope that makes sense um i think um i think we'll just go ahead and get started 
Okay, disclaimer, big disclaimer on my top 10 films. I've watched significantly less 2020 films than I did in 2019. For reference, I saw about 90 films that were released in 2019 and saw 30-ish films in 2020. So if you're mad that one film did not make my top 10, I just ran out of energy. <laughs> so um, in no particular, or no, in a particular order from 10 to 5, um, my 10 is Soul, Pixar Soul. My number 9 is Sofia Coppola's On the Rocks. My number 8 is Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, Someone is Going to Kill Me. Um, number 7, I have Eliza Hittman's Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. And number 6, I have Kirsten Johnson's Dick Johnson is Dead. And I have no unique one. Sorry, I'm too basic. <laughs> but yeah so mine joel uh my 10 was emerald fennel's uh promising young woman number nine i had charlie kaufman's i'm thinking of anything's number eight i had sophia coppola's on the rocks uh for number seven i had thomas Vinterberg's another round for number six i had kelly reichardt's wonderful first cow so yeah 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 um, was there anyone else that didn't have unique ones no, everyone else has unique ones. <laughs> Me and Joel are basic. Yeah. I realized in 2020 how much my dependence on or dependence on watching new releases is on the theater. Just because, mm-hmm. like, I think I was talking to Stephanie about this earlier, but like with how sucky 2020 was, like, I don't think my movie watching decreased, but like I really focused on like watching films that I know would have a higher probability of me enjoying them. Yeah. And like, so watching new releases, it's like a very low probability on that. Oh, yeah. Like, like and so, anything. if I'm not making a trip to the theater, my motivation of watching new releases decreased like three times, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Like, it definitely went to show like the value of the theater experience so mm-hmm. much. Cause, like, that, like, it would warrant like seeing some shit film just mm-hmm. to have gone like i really miss when i went to the theater to watch the way back like (laughs) (laughs) i want to be in a theater with a bunch of other people being like yeah ben affleck is crying in a shower i (laughs) I feel that (laughs) i feel like hearing the oh my gosh again (laughs) (laughs) isaac you go (laughs) okay i was gonna say over the pandemic i feel like i'm I'm in the same boat. I've seen like a lot less new films, but I feel like I've shifted to like rewatching a bunch of films of my past that I know I've enjoyed. Like I know Stephanie said Harry Potter. I also rewatched all the Harry Potter films and all the Marvel films. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every movie in my house at some point. You're listening. Games of Film Club. Harry Potter. It's going to be my thing. All right. Who do we want to do next? I guess Can we I'll... just dunk on Isaac right now? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> JK, Jim, okay. go, go, Jim, go. Okay, 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 okay. So my number 10 is uh, Jason Walliner's uh, Borat subsequent movie film that I did not think would make it on this list, but it did. Uh, number nine is Kelly Reichardt's First Cow. Number eight, another movie I did not think would make it on this list. Uh, but like Cynthia, I didn't really see a lot of 2020 films. It was uh, Lee Wannell's uh, The Invisible Man. Number seven is Sofia Coppola's On the Rocks. Very underrated, in my opinion. Number six, Emerald Fennel's Promising Young Woman. All right. So you have Borat and The Invisible Man, which are two films that are on 
no one else's list. So do you want to quickly talk about those two? Sure. Um, and people, uh, if anyone wants to chime in about them, you can if you've seen them. There was something about having a movie that was like so overt in its political messaging that was just really needed. It was really needed. It was really therapeutic. I think, I think what's always gotten me about Borat is that he's like very Jewish and then like he makes it out that the Cossacks are super anti-Semitic. So he's like mocking his own people. Um, and then the fact that like Cossack people look nothing like Jews or like English people, you know, which Sacha is super English. It's just, it's funny to me. And then, and then the whole thing that they blame Kazakhstan for creating COVID in a lab. Fucking hilarious. Right. Um, so it really, it really um, just takes aim at uh, conspiracy theorists and conservative America and, and anti-Semitism. And um, I think the, the thing that stands out to, yeah, I think just, again, the thing that stands out the most to me about it about it is just that irreverence and just that overtness yeah um, i mean i mean personally like i saw like months and months before it was announced that like sasha baron cohen was in olympia and i was like what was that all about and then it turns out that 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 all right rally was down in olympia and it just like recontextualized everything for me about like you you think washington's a blue state and it's like it's here too. Like the conspiracy, like you take, you could take aim at the conspiracy theory pretty much anywhere in the country. And I think that's, that's the real beauty of like both the Borat films is like you, 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 these cultural, like these riffs on our cultural, the culture of America is just like everywhere. It's like not really pertains to like one single location. Like you can see it everywhere he goes. So it's crazy. Anyone else have anything to say about Borat? I, this was one of the films I did not catch in time. I suppose. I watched it like right when it was released. I just, I died. Especially, um, like it, 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 the first scene, or the first film was just about Borat. And then the second one is about Borat's daughter who she like, she gets smuggled to America somehow in some sort of like monkey cage. And then the monkey dies on the way over. It's something hilarious. And then she like gets her period at a big debutante ball. And then she's dancing and they perform this like traditional menstruation dance. And it's meant to be like very folksy. And then all of these like super pretentious Southern people are just totally grossed out. And it just like, like I had to stop the movie because I couldn't stop laughing. It was, it was good moment of joy. Tis fair. Yeah. All right, Jim, do you want to talk about Invisible Man as well? which is also um, unique on your list. Yeah, I suppose so. This was one of the last movies I saw in the theater. And what stands out the most to me um, about The Invisible Man is, is mostly uh, the cinematography and the, the blocking. And there's so many distinct, uh, distinct shots for me, just like when she's in like prison cell, when she's at her home, where you know if The Invisible Man were there, he would be in this specific placement. And there's just this sense of uneasiness in like your position that I think no, I haven't really seen in many other modern horror thrillers. The actress um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss, Moss. is um, really incredible as well. I mean, as always. Yeah. I mean, like I, 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 Invisible Man was like the last reminder of what a good horror movie at a theater does. Like I, I, I went to the screening that we got through UW Film Club and like, theater was packed and it's like one of those last moments where like I, I love going to horror movies like at a theater specifically because you just get the randomest people and it's all just great when you're all just scared and like the, the moment I remember is the one where no, no spoilers but like 
Elizabeth Moss is there at the restaurant with her sister. And it's like that, it, that moment just like, I, I, I it, it's just great because everybody's just scared out of their mind. And it's a, it's a fun time to be around people when everybody is scared. I like fear in a large <laughs> empty auditorium with people in it. That's just me. I can't speak for others. No, I, I agree. Everybody was so vocal in that movie. Like everybody was like shouting and screaming when, you know, there were jump scares. And there were a lot. <laughs> a very nice like modernistic twist on a horror movie, I guess, with the whole like the technology stuff. And the fact that I think the like the whole the plot is like there's a woman trying to leave her abusive relationship and that also is relevant in a different way. And then also like Elizabeth Moss is just good at being unhinged. And that also applies to one of the movies on my list. But yeah, it was good. It's a fun movie. Also another one I didn't see. <laughs> I'm guessing Joel didn't either. <laughs> by both of our silence <laughs> yeah but hell yeah Scientology delivering good action <laughs> forever god I need her to like stop that because she's such a good actress but oh my goodness oh my goodness all right so that's Jin's bottom five ten to six ten to five ten to six I don't know I have Stephanie's list next on mine so Stephanie do you want to say your yeah I have Palm Springs is number 10, Shirley for number 9, Another Round for number 8, Emma for number 7, and Soul for number 6. All right, uh, so I have indicated that Palm Springs is on someone else's bottom five, but it's on no one's top five. So do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, so I believe Isaac and I both have Palm Springs on the bottom of our list. And really, I think it just boils down to like the fact that it's a funny movie with like a decent amount of heart and like JK Simmons is so funny in that movie. And then you also have like the, it's like a fun variation of the time loop thing. And I feel very comforted when I watch it. Yeah, I agree. I think anything with JK Simmons is a good movie. <laughs> uh, I just love He's in Whiplash, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's in spider-man a far from home <laughs> no fucking way really <laughs> he really is the perfect j jonah jameson but i digress um yeah i think i think palm springs is a really good movie what did i rate it as i'll go over that in a second andy samberg is in that movie too and i think he's pretty funny as well and i also i think Kristen melody is also just excellent in that film and She's, she's been in like other things. I, I only remember her from like the Black Mirror episode and like the Wolf of Wall Street. But like, I, I think she's just Black fantastic. Mirror? She's yeah. the mother in How I Met Your Mother. That's what I was going to say. I have not watched How I Met Your Mother, so I cannot speak to that. Oh my but, God. Oh, Worst yeah. ending Good. ever. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just another waste of your time, like almost all sitcoms. Oh yeah, uh, I love sitcoms. Watch. No. There's so many good <laughs> sitcoms the out there. That's just a false statement. Yes, yeah, Cynthia, you're waging a war with a whole generation of Americans oh right there. <laughs> Big Bang Theory fans, come fight me. Yeah, I'm too depressed to watch any other TV show. Okay, I love Big Bang Theory. I feel like. I fight with you, Cynthia, on a lot of these things that bring me happiness. 
and bring me annoyance no but i like palm springs i really enjoyed palm springs i think it was one of the first word of mouth pandemic films where everyone was just like oh this is actually really good and we were all watching it on hulu and shit i like you um stephanie said i think it's a really good reinvention of the time loop groundhog day thing because i feel like that has been beat to death so much and so the fact that there's like two people kind of experiencing it I mean, it's not necessarily a unique twist, but it's definitely something I haven't seen and is equally as funny and kind of makes it more or less kind of gendered in a way that I think I recently watched Groundhog Day. I don't know if it was misogynistic, but could have been because comedy in that time. But <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was just really cute. It was really fun. I think Kristen Malotti gives the best performance in that movie. So the fact that you two overshadowed, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think there's a resiliency to her character that a lot of female comedic characters do not get granted the option to have. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, she just teaches herself quantum physics. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's pretty great. She's like, Um, this is how we get out of here. (laughs) I'm going to take it in my own hands. I think it's, it's, um, it's interesting to think that there's been so many copycats of of Groundhog Day, yet none of them had been like, oh, let's make two people instead of one, right? <laughs> yeah, and then also kind of make it a commentary about like long-term relationships and like the monotony um, that can be involved in that. And just like, oh, well, if we have each other, then the monotony is kind of a lot more bearable, right? I'm just like day in and day out doing the same thing over. And so, yeah, I think I think that adds an interesting dynamic and interesting twist to it. Hasn't been and, and is what stands apart from the other Groundhog groundhog day ish movies to me felt like the perfect pandemic movie like it was clearly created before covid but it just fit so well in with that idea of monotony mm-hmm. um and of like depression and existential angst and i loved how they kept trying to kill themselves and like all these different ways to see <laughs> right. get out of it yeah. <laughs> it it was very it was very zeitgeisty in that way and like oh, unintentionally God. so because okay. it's like it came out i think like april or something so like right at the start of the pandemic where you're at home, probably surrounded by, you know, your roommates or, or your family, you can't get away from them. And this whole movie <laughs> yeah. is about you can't get away from reliving the same day over and over again mm-hmm. with these same people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think I think that that bit was just like was very relatable. <laughs> um, it's it's one of the great it was it was definitely one of the great pandemic films. Like it's okay, we're in this together. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just <laughs> I just remembered the dinosaurs. I also no, remember yeah. the dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just remembered that like two seconds ago. There are dinosaurs in that movie. Yeah, yes, there are <laughs> dinosaurs in that movie. Was that ever explained? No. Okay. I remember like someone on like, I think maybe on Reddit or Letterboxd, like try to explain the dinosaurs. And I was like, man, don't ruin this, man. Just yeah, don't just ruin leave it, it for alone. yourself. Just leave All it alone. Right. Just leave it alone. The new um, ending. It's like, it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephanie, do you want to talk about Shirley? Uh, yeah. So Shirley, it's by directed by Josephine Decker. The Elizabeth Moss plays the main character, uh, Josephine, or the main character Shirley. Sorry, and she's this horror writer, I guess. And she, there, she and her husband are visited by this like young couple, and. As I mentioned before, Elizabeth Moss is sort of unhinged. And obviously she's very good at doing that. 
But there's also this interesting, um, the way the director sort of invokes a sense of like claustrophobia and confusion. Because there's, I think there's a point in the movie where there's like a very clear parallel between the young couple and the Shirley and her husband with um, like infidelity, they're, they're them struggling to be their own person outside of their husband and things like that. And so I was just impressed by that. And Elizabeth Moss is really good. That's, that's all. Has anyone else here seen Shirley? I saw it. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. Like it was a very disorienting movie. I was very like the cinematography is just like very weird, not in a bad way. It's just like I, I felt really weird watching it, but like it really pairs well with Elizabeth Moss's cinema of unhingedness. I agree <laughs> with that. So I think it was I think it's really good. I I I need to see I know Josephine Decker's done like Madeline's Madeline, I think. And I I yeah. still yeah. I think that's that's still on my watch list, but I, I really liked what I saw. Plus, Michael Stuhlberg is also just pops up, pops up everywhere randomly. So glad yeah. to see that. Yeah, I got super into Shirley Jackson this year. Um, I think because I watched like the Netflix, The Haunting of Hill House for the first time, like two years late. And I started reading a bunch of her novels. And um, yeah, I really liked, really liked the movie. It was very claustrophobic, like Stephanie said, and um, scary, even though nothing happened. Um, and I think it was interesting that they were like, like evoking the horror of her fiction and like having that horror kind of slip into the everyday life, even though like nothing spooky happened at all, you still felt like very much on edge. Um, and also Logan Lerman, whew, like very steamy at 28 years of age, looking good. Wait, he's in that? Yeah. yeah. yeah he's now I have to watch it. There are people fun. like petitioning for him to play Poseidon in the Percy Jackson TV show that Disney Plus is making. Because he has like a silver fox thing going on or yeah. something. He's I like don't know. but he's got a nice like gray streak in his hair. He's like he's- real nice, yeah. real nice. Yeah, but the <laughs> like the main four actors, like I think they they fit well together, and there are a lot of like Piper said, it's just like very unsettling to watch that movie because I'm like something is going to happen. I don't know what, but something is going to happen. And so it's very foreboding. Sweet. Is that all we have to say about Shirley? Yeah. <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> Next on my list, I have Isaac. So Isaac, you want to say, this will be fun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Your bottom um. <laughs> to, to quote uh, you from earlier in this podcast, I am a film god. <laughs> yes. What I say is law. So if you guys don't like it, well, then you just don't know film. Good film. Something yeah. Like All right, here <laughs> so, we go. So uh, for my number 10, I have Onward. Uh, number nine, I have Nomad la- Land, which I'm sure we'll all get into later. <laughs> number eight, I have Wonder Woman 1984. Number seven, I have Palm Springs. And then number six, I have Promising Young Woman. Okay, so from my circling, <laughs> the unique films that you have are Onward and Wonder Woman. So do you want to talk a bit about Onward first? Yeah, so that one's, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that made the list. But again, I haven't seen a whole lot of 2020 movies. What do I like about this film? Okay, I love Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. <laughs> they're great. And I think their dynamic in this film is pretty good. 
as brothers, Ian and Barley. And I like a good coming of age film that Ian is going through, you know. He wants to meet his dad and all that, but he doesn't. Uh, I I won't spoil anything. Yeah, I, I guess that's about it. This is my top 10 or my bottom 10. And then for... Wait, does one- it, hold on. Does anyone oh. else want to say anything about Onward? Yeah, I mean... I guess- Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to make a joke. You go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I genuinely, like, it's, it, I had a good time watching it. I think it was one of the last, like, I had I had a really weird double feature as my last thing in theaters with that and Emma. Um, and so that was just, a, it, it was nice. I have a brother. And so, like, me, I was thinking about my brother as I watched it. And, like, Pixar was going for the make you cry moments and, there were certainly those that I had told back, but um, yeah, it was, it was really fun. Um, I know to the director, it was like a really personal movie. Like I, I listened to, if anybody gets a chance or is interested, you should look up the, the, I think Dan Scanlon was his name, but like it's a lot of it's based off of his personal life, which was really interesting, but yeah, you can definitely see it. And like, there's a lot of emotion and it's a fun time. So I, 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 I agree. Good, good movie. Yeah, I really liked it. I was surprised by how much I liked it. Um, it just feels like, like I watched it with my mom. It feels like the epitome of my mom's type of film. Like cute, heartwarming, like mildly tragic, but we overcome the tragedy in a way. Fantasy with elves, aren't they elves? Um, yeah. so sort of medieval. Like, yeah, it was it was very cute. And I was happy that I used a friend's Disney Plus account to watch it. And I was also so psyched that they were two Pixar movies in one year. Like, that was great. This was the last movie I saw in theaters. Like, straight up. This is the last movie I saw in theaters. <laughs> I thought it was okay. I, <laughs> I thought the pacing was just super weird in a certain way. I can't even describe it because, like, it's been so long since I've seen it. But I remember having that complaint. And just like, I felt the energy was off. Like it was like tonal whiplash to me. Um, I did like the ending. I like what they did with that. But yeah, I don't really have much to say about that film. Would rank it like a C tier Pixar or something. Not to shit on your parade or anything, but <laughs> it's still cute. <laughs> Sorry. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. God fuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Noah, it may not be like in Incredibles but it's at least as good as A Bug's Life. Whoa. I seen that. Bug's Life Why would is... you do Bug's Life dirty yeah. like that? <laughs> Bug's Life is better. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Don't worry, audience. No, it gets I, worse. I, 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 <laughs> hot takes. This will be hard because it's like, I just do not vibe with Chris Pratt or Tom Holland's energy as actors. And so it's like, you, they really need to be good for me to like enjoy it. And that's like a really bad way of critiquing a film, I feel like. But like at the same time, like that's just like my, my, my personal opinion. And, and yeah, oh, that's just... Like if you dislike an actor, it like permeates the whole film. Like he's yeah. kind of angry yeah. the whole time. I, I had a similar experience. I really, well, I mean, I have a newfound dislike for Chris Pratt, period. Uh, just based on my own beliefs um, but I also just personally found his voice to be kind of grating <laughs> um, and I actually I saw an edit online that was uh, would just uh, have snippets of Jack Black dialogue over Chris Pratt's 
voice in this movie. And I'm like, I would have preferred that. I just, I just would have. Um, but um, yeah, I admittedly don't remember, honestly, a ton about Onward. This was one of the first movies I, I, I didn't see it um, in a theater, but I, it was one of the first things I saw in quarantine. I think there's, there's, there's definitely like cute moments. I really like the, the part where Ian is trying to get onto the freeway the first time, just because I've never really seen that in a movie before. <laughs> like that particular anxiety of trying to merge onto the freeway is something that I've experienced <laughs> so much. And I, I don't know, that was just a random moment that stood out to me. I think, I think it's got, it's definitely got its charm. You know, it does the Disney Pixar thing, but. Um, I actually think it does not do it, the Disney Pixar thing well. And I think, I was thinking about it a little bit just right now, but like what I enjoy, always enjoy about Pixar films is like there's stuff for adults and there's stuff for children and they blend really well in combining the mature and the childish together to create something cohesive. And I think that's what a film we're going to talk about later does so well, where this film just feels like it's for only children. And that is it. <laughs> like there are, I feel like for me personally, there wasn't something I could chew on on like a higher level of thinking. I just thought about that right now. But yeah, because mm-hmm. like my memory of it, it was just like, oh, it's a fun romp for children. <laughs> and that's it. Sorry yeah. to cut you down on that again. Oh, I, especially, well, I, I understand what you mean, especially in comparison to the, the movie I know that you're going to, we're going to talk about later, where um, I think in that movie, it's like, honestly, I thought was way more for adults than for kids. And it was something I really loved about that. And something that I think that studio at its prime does so well. And so I'm really excited to talk about that movie. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll get to that later. But yeah. Any last words about Onward? All right, cool. I have Rohan next. Oh no, so Rohan. We, wait, I, did we talk about the, the eight, 1984 oh, conundrum? Yeah. Oh, we didn't. Oh, yeah. We did not talk about the 1984 conundrum. Just repress out of my mind. <laughs> so okay, I, I guess I just, I just bring all the controversial <laughs> movies. No one likes Chris Pratt. And I guess we're not gonna like Wonder Woman either. But I liked Wonder Woman, okay. Uh, it was very refreshing from oh my goodness <laughs> wow okay, <laughs> okay. zoom chat pipers <laughs> okay so I find Wonder Woman refreshing from a big chunk of the superhero genre and cause like okay after like uh Endgame came out I needed like a big break from all superhero movies for a little bit thank god we got it okay it's been a little bit long I'm getting antsy again but anyways uh I just need a break from the whole end of the universe kind of thing that was going on with most of the movies and I feel like Wonder Woman was a lot more light-hearted and I really like Gal Gadot and uh, Chris Pine is in that movie too. <laughs> Even though he's my least favorite of the Chris's, I mean he's still a decent actor. Yeah, right, can the can the takes get worse? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's. <laughs> I'm the only one who's advocating. I, I guess. Well, I guess de advocating for Chris Pine because I know everyone likes him more than Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, what? I like you, Chris Pratt. 
But anyways, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I'll come to the closest probably anybody will come to your defense in this, which is oh, that man. I liked it for about tw- 12 hours. I slept, and then I woke up, and I forgot all about it. And then it just became more and more forgettable as the days went on. And then all the problematic stuff with how it sees geopolitics and, like, stuff like that. I don't know. I, 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 I It's it's a mediocre movie, in my opinion. But uh, it, I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you had fun with it and that you were able to take away something from it. No, part of this list isn't whether a movie had significant impact on the world. It's whether oh, we it enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> okay. You know? okay, you know what? I enjoyed it. It's on my list. It's an opinion Imagine if all your troubles oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, let's separate the movie from all controversial opinions. <laughs> But you can't. <laughs> it legitimately so makes the movie. <laughs> All right. Does anyone Let's else just have move any on. final th- Okay. Sweet, sweet. Kristen Wiig is a cat. <laughs> All right. Costume Gohan. change. Like, the costume change that Galvadoga through, like, that was, like, the probably almost saved the movie for me, but didn't. <laughs> Still was too long, but I was like, this costume change, I'm living it. It, it, This movie really digs into just the worst aspects of the 80s. Only the worst. (laughs) There was like an 80s, like, with this movie, and then there was like the, the Stranger Things or something. There was like a momentary, like, trend in like 80s stuff that was all coming out. The San Junipero. Black Mirror episode. Well, yeah, yeah, and like I don't. There was like another movie that was also like pushing really hard on the '80s thing. Just for a while, like all the advertisements for movies were like '80s. Yeah, I mean the '80s is having a moment in pop music, mm-hmm. like a resurgence in pop music. This use, isn't a. They used Blue Monday in the trailer, right? The first trailer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The New Order song. Yeah. Fuck it. What if Reagan just had all the power in the world? (laughs) Those space lasers didn't come in the 80s. Rohan. Sorry to cut you off, Isaac. Uh, Yeah, okay. Um, So my, I'll go. My number 10 was Small Axe, the education installment. I had a real debate as to whether to put all Small Axe in one thing on my personal list, but I decided to separate them all. Number nine is Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman. Number eight is Kelly Reckhardt's First Cow. Number seven uh, is Small Axe Red, White, and Blue. And number, I said seven, right, for that. And then number six is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, So you have actually two of the small axes, I feel like, are not the most popular small axes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I I looked at them, and I was very shocked at that when I first, because I knew Lovers Rock, was like very like in mangrove we're like really pumped like people were really pumped up for those but then i watched both red white and blue and education and i think it was just more the personal stuff for me like education i think is very idiosyncratic for me just because i have a brother with educational special needs and to see him try to go through like get actual like proper like educational like support um, and stuff like that, and to have the district just be a dick about it, I, I, that hit me hard personally. So I was just, it's that, but like, 
I mean, even in all of them, like you, you talk about, I, I think we're probably going to talk about Lover's Rocks later on, but like, I think just Steve McQueen, like does an absolute phenomenal job behind the camera and like capturing just like human emotions and human actions in just like a very pure way. And I think the same thing goes for like red, white, and blue, where the, I, I related a lot to the sort of cultural clash, um, which I, I don't necessarily have a cultural clash between like, police and like my ethnicity, but like just that general clash of cultures is something that I've experienced a lot in my life, especially moving from place to place. And so that anger that comes from there and sort of the resentment and sort of complicated feelings, I think were portrayed really well. And I, I still maintain personally that John Boyega just needs more roles, like give him more stuff. Like he's a great actor. We, we can forget Star Wars, but like, let's, let's, let's push him past that. But yeah. That, that's just, that, that's just my thoughts. I, I, I really enjoyed his whole series as a whole, or that was a lot of holes. Um, but yeah, uh, everything about that was, was fantastic. So yeah. Has anyone else seen them? I unfortunately have not seen the rest of Lover's Rock. I've, or not Lover's Rock, Small Axe. I've only seen Lover's Rock and Mangrove. Yeah, I saw Red, White, and Blue. I, f- I feel like I have nothing to say about it other than I just really liked it. And I agree that John Boyega is very talented. Yeah, I guess it posed like an interesting alternative to Mangrove, which was about like how bad the police treat like the, the Black British community. I mean, this was like the same thing. Like he was, he was fighting against the police brutality, but it was interesting that he wanted to become a police officer. And he had a PhD, didn't he? Isn't that the plot line that he has a doctorate? Yeah, yeah. He had a PhD in like science or something like that. Even though science is not a, a particular study, but <laughs> something sciencey. I'm surprised no one had Mangrove on their lists because that one I think is also just really fantastic, and I think. We'll talk about Lover's Rock, but I think Mangrove, there is a precision that you can see that of Steve McQueen's like directing style that is just so immaculate. Like the one thing I can't get out of my head is when the, is it a call lander? That bowl that just rolls around on the yeah, ground. Yeah, that bowl like, that rolls The through. whole like Mangrove itself is like getting like harassed by the police mm-hmm. and invaded by the police. And I thought that was just like, so precise and so like well executed and just yeah i think that one deserves a shout out as well but red white and blue and education i have not seen those i should have but energy is very low i was gonna Um, say like i'm so happy for him to be able to direct this series because yeah i didn't love 12 years of slave i don't really know what the like discourse is on it now but i'm like sort of sick of slavery movies you know um widows fucking slaps hard yeah, I'm seeing it. yes this is great <laughs> yeah, podcast listeners should know that cynthia like leaned in on her camera <laughs> and she said that it was very intense no i it, it's such a good movie i think it's widows is there's so much going on it's widows but like steve mcqueen is able to just like execute and intertwine everything with such precision again there's another amazing thing in widows where they're in the car. I think it's Colin Farrell's in the car, like just going. Yes. He just comes out of like this, like, I'm going to help the black community with their um, housing. And then he like gets in the car and then starts going on like a racist tirade or 
tirade or tirade tirade as like it only shoots the car's exterior and you see like the transition between the poor mm-hmm. neighborhood of Chicago to like where he's going which is like the rich one it's such a fantastic sequence like I me describing it does not do it any justice but yeah widows Steve McQueen is awesome I love him I was gonna say I feel like Colin Farrell is a little too comfortable playing like super racist <laughs> his like relationship with guy Ritchie, yeah puts that into a good question piper (laughs) all right piper uh yeah so my 10th film was one night in miami uh ninth was emma eighth another round seventh spike lee's to five bloods and sixth was time all right so you have one night in miami and to five bloods as like a unique pick i suppose (laughs) so do you want to talk about one night in miami first yeah gosh well i guess in both of those i gravitate towards historical films um and films that are still political in a way i was really surprised by one night miami like i had seen that it hadn't got um as high ratings as i would have thought um but i really really loved it um i mean it uh, it's based on a play um, and the play was written by the guy who co-directed, oh, yeah. which I think <laughs> is like so what a mm-hmm. random connection. Yeah, and it it feels a bit like historical fan fiction, like you're taking like Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X and like these famous people and like creating a dialogue. So it definitely feels like fan fiction a bit, but it's cool. Like it like everything tracks with what people definitely thought and what people said, and like it all works out historically. And I think it was just really lovely. I'm really excited to see Regina King um, get more roles for directing in the future. And also um, Kingsley Benadir. I first saw him in Peaky Blinders, and he's he's also good looking. Um, I'm obviously into British guys. <laughs> Turn this episode into like a thirst. A thirst list. Hey, really hey, fast. we gotta, we gotta give a shout out to Aldous Hodge. I thought he was so hot. I was gonna say that because he was also in The Invisible Man, and he is like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> thirst, thirsting over historical figures. Yes, um, God, fuck. Maybe edit that out. <laughs> this really is a fanfic movie. <laughs> <laughs> Like every man who plays Malcolm X instantly becomes like 10 times hotter. And I was like, you know what? Like Denzel looked good as Malcolm X. Too. <laughs> like it, it's a, it's just, it's just a, yeah, it works out that way. I was so sad I didn't, I didn't catch this one. Um, it is on. Yeah, it is on Amazon. Yeah, so definitely. Anyone else be have doing any that thoughts soon. on that? And I'll just say like, it's a play and it's very hard to like make a play like cinematic. And I think Regina. King like did some really interesting things like with the camera and stuff like that to make it way more engaging because like it, it's it's a different thing seeing a live performance and like those performances like really hold it together but like with film you got to take care of everything else and yeah I, I I I I'll echo I'm so excited for what Regina King comes up with next because Regina King's awesome yeah I have to agree with like everything you've said like plays adapted to films are often pretty hard for me I think like one of the few that I've enjoyed is um who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and that one um the dialogue is just like already helping it so much but like what I've always found interesting about that one and what I think One Night in Miami has did in a certain capacity is like create an energy with its dialogue and with how she's moving the camera and how she's having them walk around that like creates and invokes an energy that's just not for people talking to one another because essentially that like at its bare bones that's what a play is kind of 
is and you just don't want that in a film so yeah i totally agree i'm really excited to see what regina king has to do next i really like how she introduced muhammad ali into like the first like set six minute montage of that film of like introducing all of them i thought was really well executed mm-hmm. and yeah great pick so my other film gosh number was it it felt like it kept moving it around <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, The Five Bloods. Wow, I really love this. I mean, it probably could be higher on my list. I just, I, I think I really loved it at the time. And then I think hearing about Chadwick Boseman's passing like really made it a lot more um, meaningful to me. Like I was just upset for days. Like I initially cried and then just felt really empty for a few days. And I, it feels weird saying that because it's like this poor man, like I never knew him, but I feel like he just meant so much to me. And his character in The Five Bloods was so, such a, an embodiment of like who I felt like he was like like a kind of a spiritual leader like a guide like kind of an all-knowing being in a way that I just felt like looking back on his role in Defy Bloods was just like very like kind of his last message that he wanted to give the world and other than that like I rarely watch action films so it was a really really cool movie because there was a lot of like fun violence I guess and like treasure hunting and like weird historical stuff and then it was also like the kooky like old men go on vacation to a foreign country type of thing um and like go dancing and drinking and it had like a really cool like fun weird spikely blend of like a bunch of different genres and then like racial historical stuff too so it was it was cool yeah i i i really loved the five bloods for a long time it was like the number one thing on my list on my like 2020 list that was ongoing yeah, I mean, the, the main criticism I saw from like, lots of people was that, like, the tone was quite inconsistent. But, like, I think this will, pro- I'll probably bring it up with, like, another movie that came on a lot of our lists. But, like, that, 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 that was sort of a criticism, that sort of criticism I, I kind of, like, give a pass to personally, just because, like, I, I like it when just, like, a movie kind of goes all out. And, like, there's just so much there to, to enjoy and to, like, think about from everything in the script and like Delroy Lindo like got robbed on the war circuit in my opinion like he should have he should have gotten something because that was an amazing performance and like just the entire cast did an amazing job and I, I agree I had a lot of fun with it too I unfortunately also did not get to see that how about anyone else yeah I'm I'm basically agreeing with what everyone's saying I think Delroy Delroy Lindo was phenomenal and I love how um you know for lack of a better word how like you know audacious the the like stylistic choices and, and like the, the genre bending stuff were and just like yeah it, it felt it felt uh it felt unrestrained in a in a good way unrestrained but like still kind of controlled yeah I, I think the cast was phenomenal yeah that and and uh, I guess Marini's Black Bottom being like the two last performances of Chadwick Boseman I think going back on this movie would probably be a very emotional watch for me. Yeah, I, I agree with what you guys have to say about it. Anyone else? Good ensemble cast. I think I maybe I need to give it a rewatch, but I remember thinking like this is taking a long time <laughs> when, when I was watching the movie. But I like, it's one of the situations where I'm like, I respect the movie. I don't think it's for me, but I respect the movie. I see what was being done. Definitely. Joel, Isaac. Nothing really bad. Yeah. Did you see it? I agree. Yeah. I didn't see it. <laughs> okay. Right on, Isaac. <laughs> I only realized like halfway through that Jonathan Majors was from The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yeah. Like I've seen him before. <laughs> Jonathan Majors in a ton of shit mm-hmm. yeah. as of recent. He's just like pops up and like, oh yeah. Um, Lovecraft. 
Uh, he's a mother yeah, craft, yeah. yeah. All right. Walmart's sister. Oh, sorry. sorry. What? Wait, no. Her name's Jesse. Who's the guy who was like canceled because he lied that's, about that's, that's Jesse Smollett. The sister you journey Smollett. Oh, sorry. Okay, regardless, he's in Birds of Prey. I think it's cool that her career is skyrocketing while her brother was like <laughs> off. <laughs> Oof. Oof, yeah. Similar All right. Rivalry. So we have gotten through. <laughs> Sorry that I'm just pushing. Mm-hmm. Everyone's bottom five, which like sounds very negative, but is not because out of like all the films we have watched, I feel like that's a good thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Jim, you have the list of all the films that just appear on a scattered top five of everyone's. Yeah. So if you just want to run through those and then we'll like indicate what position that film is on within our list and then we can talk about it. Okay, um, so I'm thinking of maybe doing the least common ones first. Okay. Why don't we start with Emma? <laughs> Steph- you just watched Stephanie's whole body. <laughs> she was just like on top of the camera and just went, woo. I'm down, very excited to talk about Emma. It's my <laughs> All right, then kick us off. Kick us off. It's my number seven. And I mean, I guess I should also preface with like, I just finished reading the Bridgerton book. So I'm like all about Regency England right now. Like I know way too much about how British nobility works. I I know it inside and out. And like the whole, like, like the costuming and the color palette, like I was reading about the costuming in Emma and how like there were some very deliberate choices made in that movie with like the color yellow and things like that. And obviously Anya Taylor-Joy is amazing and this is also one of those movies where it's like oh look at all all the british actors whoa they're all here but like i love a i love a good period movie it's it was heartwarming i didn't i had the impression someone in club reviewed it and they were like it was okay it wasn't that good and so my expectations were a little low going in but i had I such a, reviewed it i did not I, i'm oh. sorry someone <laughs> else did I wanted to to say that um, I was in the theater at the same time that the person who reviewed it saw it and I feel like the and I like him totally but I feel like the response to the film was very gendered in that like like I'm sorry I I always place everything on misogyny but it's like oh I just feel like women liked the film and understood it better almost like women don't want men (laughs) women want men written by a female author yeah right it's just how it is um, I, well i mean not like intentional misogyny i just mean like um people look down on jane austen like so much and i totally did until i read emma and i was like shit this is so smart i mean the 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 dialogue is just like so incredible and the plot is so like intricate and woven and um yeah i was i was all about emma but I then i feel like with the, the hairstyles Sorry, keep going. No, 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 it's fine. I'm sorry. I I love blabbing about this movie. I feel like the people who didn't get it, like, couldn't follow the quick pace of the film and also didn't really like women. (laughs) So there are, okay, so there are, there are. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. I I put it as my number two. That's great. Okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. there's that. I, okay, I also love a really good. I love a good period piece too. Um, like of a lady Pratt. on fire. Okay, I I don't think Chris Pratt has been in a period piece. I can't no. think of one. <laughs> oh. Never mind. Okay, okay. But anyways, 
I mean, pretty much everything Stephanie said. I've also read the like most of her Jane Austen's books, so I have that to reference against, I suppose, as well. And I thought this is like the first time I've seen Emma because I know there's the like the older versions as well. But I thought it did a really good job compared to the book, like keeping consistent with the book. And I like the additional details, like the color yellow as well, because like she doesn't really do anything with that in the book. But I liked it. It's my number two. So I don't think it's just targeted towards women. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I just mean that I get super defensive. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like the shit I'm really interested in. Like, I want to write something about like films that are targeted to women that often get a bad cultural rep. That's like something that's been permeating in my mind forever. But uh, on Emma, I loved it as well. It was very cute. Um, how can you hate, how can men hate something that was directed by like the prime photographer of Elliot Smith? Like, yeah. do you not like no culture? Okay. No, but I think it's so gorgeous. Like the way she shot it. Like if you follow Autumn to Wild on Instagram, like she's like been posting a lot of behind the scene images on like what she did with that. And it's like, this girl knows how to shoot a camera and knows how to create shots and just the way she plays with color palettes is just really impressive i mean emma's also a very smart story in general i mean i'll i'll take i'll take i'll take the the women hating approach apparently um (laughs) no i i I thought it was a good movie like the thing is like i'm not personally like into i've read i've only read one jane austen book so i can't say like the extensive history i'm not an extensive like person that's like has extensive knowledge like all the period pieces from like Britain in the 19th century or whatever but like um it was a sweet movie and like I I enjoyed myself I I I I certainly get like it was a it was a very enjoyable movie I I I just didn't really connect with it all too too much but I I enjoyed it nonetheless and I think uh, all Josh O'Connor all Anya Taylor-Joy obviously and the the cinematography was just very colorful and that was very like heartwarming to see if you way hate to... Emma, you hate Elliot Smith. That's gonna be my ride or die on that. <laughs> wow, well, those are the stakes. If you hate Emma, you're just a bad person. <laughs> those are the rules they've been made. I just have like a really prominent memory of watching it at like Saturday night by myself, and I went to this theater and I saw this like boy who was also there by himself, and I was like, "Whoa, men go out and see this by themselves." I need to talk to him, and I did it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he definitely went home riding the bus, Elliot Smith in his years, you know, just kind of sad and listless. You could have fixed that, you know. <laughs> yeah, just listening to the big ballad of nothing. Yeah, you know, between the bars is my, you know, real sad. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Elliot Smith. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Anything else we want to say about Emma? Nominated for best costume design and hairstyling and makeup, as it and should. It, yeah. Yeah, as it should. I'm obsessed with the yeah. hair in that movie. Like it's one of the characters literally has a bow made out of her hair. Dude, it's the me. fact that like that film is able to make like what was like the thing that was bad? Like she says she calls her like stupid or something. Said so it's like, oh blah blah blah. You must say dull, three dull things, and Emma's like ah, but when did you ever stop at three? Oh and yeah, yeah. Like awkward moment for everybody. And like the effect, um, the like ability for that film to like make that like one like line just like resonate like it's the most hurtful thing on the planet Mm -hmm. 
is like I mean that to be able to create something like that and like feel the pain of like a pretty not harsh line it's pretty a tame line it's pretty impressive yeah she like Emma gets served she learns Mm -hmm. her lesson yeah like I turned down Mr. Martin because of you I was like sobbing yeah like I think with Emma you need to make her look bad or else that's not a good adaptation and I think the film properly does that oh yeah but Emma sorry go ahead Piper no, I, I was going to say, similar to what you were saying, Cynthia, I think there's a, um, like, a real talent in taking, like, elevated, um, antiquated language and, like, making it still understandable in, like, the acting and, you know, and what's going on. Um, like, I just watched Much Ado About Nothing from, like, 1993, and even though it's Shakespeare, it's, like, really hard to understand, like, it still works, and you can still kind of tell what's going on, and it doesn't sound too stuffy, and I think this does a really good job of that. And then the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, too. Love that film. Yeah, big fan yeah. of that film. Yeah. <laughs> Obsessed with it. <laughs> Me too. That's one of my yeah. That's a great adaptation. I I I haven't seen Emma, so I don't know where that where I stand on the women hating thing. Oh but... my god! I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> it don't be. Don't be. Sorry. Don't be. It was funny. I'm just. No, it I'm makes just, sense. Yeah. That, that's like, yeah. That commentary will like come up again in another film here. So yeah, that's a great option. But absolutely. Um. So is that, that's it with Emma? Yeah. yeah. Last words with Emma. Okay. So uh, I'm going to botch this pronunciation of this next movie. Ba- Baccarat? Baccarat. Oh, Baccarat. Perfect. Wow. Right. I, I think Piper is the only one that has it on a list. Yeah, I think it was number two on mine. Wow. I first heard about it at con like 2019. So like a year before the pandemic. And then I watched it in like August when it came to the Criterion channel. Um, and I just like, I was just overwhelmed by how much I loved it. It's this weird blend of like sci-fi and Western, but then it's set in the Brazilian Sertal, which is like the kind of like uh, prairie backlands area in the North. Um, and then it's also this like kind of a coming together, like racial resistance tale of the village. And then also there's like drug dealing and there's like family connections. Um, and there's like a resistance against like Brazil's colonial history. I love Brazil. Um, I like taught myself Portuguese in high school. It was like my dream to major in Portuguese when I came to college, but then I came to UW and that wasn't like available. Um, but whatever, not salty about that. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, I, I just felt so at home watching the movie, um, especially the end. Like it's another, it's kind of like Defy Bloods with me. Like I rarely watch action movies. So when I guess I do watch a film that has action, especially if it's like justified or almost like racialized in some way, like, you know, an oppressed people like going up against the people who have oppressed them. Like it just, it's so satisfying to watch. So I, I loved Baccarat. I love this weird genre blending and yeah, great, great movie. It is so weird and I loved it as well. Yeah, I just, one of my favorite things about that film was, like, the two motorcyclists who, like, pretend to be, like, stupid tourists. I, for some reason, I that just pops into my head. But that's just, like, another, like, unique and comedic touch that's within the film. But it's also, like, very daunting and scaring as well because they are not actual tourists. Spoiler alert. But, yeah, I think there is, like, a catharsis within this film that feels, like, at the end, that feels much more justified but also like well explored in a way that like like Chicago Trial 7 
the trial of Chicago seven, like does horribly where it's like the film itself doesn't deserve that ending. Even if that like did happen in real life or whatever, I don't know. I not sure that specifics. No, it didn't. Cool. It did um, not happen what, in real life. It that's was what taken. I thought. It, that's what I thought. Um, I hated it, but. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think. But there's something still like haunting about that ending as well. It's like, oh yeah. So I mean, visit your museums if you've seen that movie. You'll understand that reference. <laughs> I was but yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, it kind of reminds me of Inglorious Bastards in like the super satisfying, like kill all the Nazis, kill all the racists type of sense. But even it, it feels even more justified, I guess, because there's like less bloodshed and it's more mm-hmm. creative. I don't know. Think about <laughs> oh, I think that's out. a that's a really apt description or a comparison background to Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there. I mean, I like Inglorious Bastards more than Batgirl, but I think there is a nuance that Batgirl has that Inglorious Bastards doesn't have. Inglorious Bastards is like very in your face, and that's kind of what I like about it. But there's some nuance and complications within Batgirl that's really interesting, like the relationship of the little village to the queer killer mm-hmm. um, that lives in that tower. I haven't seen that film in a while, so correct me if I'm wrong, but also Udo Kier. <laughs> Right? That's how you pronounce his name? The villain? Oh, fuck. I have now look it up so I don't look like a fool. Oh, yes. I got it right. <laughs> He's good. He's really good. Uh, anyone else have thoughts on Baccarat? No? Did anyone else see Baccarat? I haven't got to it yet. Okay. Me neither. Okay. Yeah. So this, okay, cool. I love Baccarat as well. It was really good. Uh, that was one of my first quarantine watches. So <laughs> uh, yeah, Jim, do you want to move on then? Yeah, Piper, we're going to get to another one of your movies on your top five, uh, and then we danced. Okay, yeah, I think this also premiered at Con. Honestly, Con 2019 was, like, crazy good. I remember I played at SIF in, like, January or February, and I always wanted to see it because, like, I saw all the ads for it. Um, and then it came on Amazon Prime, and it was just, like, pretty much random that I happened upon it. I watched it on a rainy day in like early September and it totally set the mood for the film, which takes place in Georgia, the former Soviet state at like the National Dance Studio. And it's about a young man, probably about, you know, my age, early 20s, late teens. um, And he's coming to terms with his sexuality um, as he falls in love with like a a peer at the dance studio who kind of teaches him to like step out of the bounds of um, the repressive life he's living um, and he also has to take care of his grandmother and his mother and his brother um, and kind of like figure out life whether or not he's good enough to pursue a career in dance and it's just so freeing and so liberating in a way I never thought that I, I, this is the only uh, film from Georgia that I've ever seen I never thought that something from such so small a country would end up on my top 10 <laughs> It just like spoke to me in such a way. And I really think it was the inclusion of another art form. I really think that like, like Caucasian dance is like so cool. I don't know. It was, it was probably like half seeing a art form that I had never seen before. And then it was half like um, relating to that experience of like coming to terms with like who you are. And it was just a really incredible film. And I really, really highly recommend it. Yeah, for sure. That was the, I texted it. Um... Last night in our group chat, like all of us were like, we're going to try to watch stuff in other film. So our top 10 looks somewhat decent. That was the one I would have put in to watch if I 
didn't go to sleep at 10 p.m. instead. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm really bummed I missed out on that one. Um, did anyone else see this one? Unfortunately. Uh, there's like a critic that I follow on Twitter who was like really like supporting this one. And yeah, I just. Ayana. She's got yeah, it. Ayana. Yeah. 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 I like her writing. Yeah. Uh, oh, what number of position is that film on? for you piper if you didn't mention that um number three number three so okay we mm-hmm. all now have homework to do <laughs> it just it feels so good it it my 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 top movie was more of a like an intellectual choice um and this was more like a like i i really felt something oh yeah definitely okay cool so we definitely have homework to do guys we <laughs> no homework. It's, it's literally like like liberating it's like it's like doing drugs <laughs> like having some sort of like, <laughs> like <finding yourself>. okay <laughs> it's fun well, down for that okay yeah down for that yeah now we don't have to actually go and yeah okay never mind um <laughs> more like drugs on. and less like homework great yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> all right Jim, what do we have next okay so i think next we're gonna go with the Netflix film, Dick Johnson is Dead. All right, so this is on multiple people's lists. Uh, this is my number six. Who else has this on their list? Oh, it's Rohan's number two. Yeah, it's my number two. I think it's my number three. Yeah. Is it uh, anyone else's? All right, Rohan, since mm-hmm. it's on your number two, do you want to start us off? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, fear of death. You know, who, who, who can't relate to that? It's the end of all things. And so... Here, it, it's because it, the thing is, when, when I think of a documentary, I'm always hesitant because I'm like, every year I tell myself, this year I'm going to watch more documentaries. And the thing is, I, I come across so many ones where it's just like people interviewed and it's kind of like mediocre and it's stuff that I would find at, at like a substitute teacher's like, like trunk, like stuff you need to put on for children just to get through the day. Um, and Dick Johnson is Dead is just completely wild um for those that don't know it the premise is essentially um kirsten johnson the director her father was diagnosed with alzheimer's and so in an attempt to sort of celebrate and keep memories of his life they recreate you know fantastical death scenarios and those are just so much fun like absolutely weird weirdly fun um uh like and i think the thing is like when when i say that like I told a friend about that and he was just like, dude, like uh, I don't need to be more depressed than I already am. And it's like, the thing is, it's such a joyous occasion, like not an occasion, but like it, there's so much joy behind it and so much celebration. Like we, we always talk about like how like, you know, a funeral or something like that is, you know, a morning celebration, but this is really, or it, this is really a celebration of Dick Johnson's life and you know, I, I I think that's captured so beautifully in the film and the relationship between Kirsten Johnson and her father is just like, and the little moments, it, it's not even those like elaborate like death scenarios or whatever. It's the little moments that she hides the camera, that she's just talking to him that like, that, that absolutely just get me and destroy me. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I, like, I, I get very emotional when I talk about it because it's like, I also see like my grandparents aging and it's just like, you know, it, it's such a beautiful thing. And I, I, I'm very mad at the Oscars documentary branch for snubbing it, but they do that stupid stuff every, like they did, won't you be my neighbor? Like didn't get nominated. So I don't take them seriously anymore. But 
nonetheless, everybody should watch it. It's on Netflix. Uh, uh, Joel, Cynthia, anybody else who's seen it? Yeah, no, like what were you what were you saying about like how like it's those like smaller moments that like really are like the most heart wrenching bits? Like yeah, like, there's so many sequences in the film where like yeah, like Kirsten will just like drop the camera and then you just hear them talking or like even them just like embracing or like I remember this like one shot where it's just like Dick in the car and then it's just like filming like his face and you see him like tune in and out because like, I mean, it's not much of a spoiler, but like he's developing like dementia or Alzheimer's and like having like seen family members with that, like, yeah, like you just, it's like horrible because like you see like that person like slowly slip away. And like, I think the film is like really successful in capturing that. Again, to tie back to like that car sequence where it's like you see like those moments where like Dick is like fully there and he's lucid, but then like you start to question if whether or not this person is just thinking or if they're like slowly losing their like existence. And then like it also like Kirsten's filmmaking is like incredibly meta, and so it's like the, the way she takes on the topics, and that's like what does it even mean to still be existing, or what is like one's like purpose or significance really? So like, but like it tackles these like really large existential questions through something like that is horribly intimate and that is joyous in the way it portrays it but that melancholy is obviously like impossible to escape so but yeah I, I just think it's like a super creative and exciting way to like take on something like that and do it in such a way that I feel like only she could have done in terms of her filmmaking so yeah it was incredible yeah, I agree with everything you guys have said. Um, I think there's something super interesting about documentaries that are willing to like understand that they are not the objective truth. I feel like a lot of times the whole like connotation surrounding documentaries is like they are filming the ob- objective truth, but like film inherently is subjective because it's through one person's lens. And I think Dick Johnson is dead is very aware of that. Kirsten Johnson as a filmmaker is very aware of that. And I think you guys already kind of talked about like the really heartbreaking moments of kind of the juxtaposition of like glee and joy of the father kind of being like, okay, I'll I'll film my death, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like their conversations. One scene that sticks out to me the most of with that is like, I think it's the one where he has to have the blood pack in his head and then they oh, like yeah. whack his head with the um, pole and like he freezes because he's like comforting like it's like the first time he's like oh fuck like mm-hmm. this is so weird that I'm like confronting death in this way and like reenacting my own death in this way but I think there's something super interesting about just like the filmmaker understanding that this is like some weird coping mechanism that she's also like her creating all these situations and having all these things kind of repeat and repeat and repeat almost to like numb herself from the eventual truth and then like the revelation for her that like it's pretty much useless like she's just going to feel pain whenever like her father is going to pass away and then kind of it ends on such a like brutal note but like it's like a bittersweet melancholy, if that's like the best way to describe it. I think the last part of the film is like her like ex- proclaiming that Dick Johnson is dead or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. Well, over and over and over again. Yeah. And then, and then the way it like finishes that off, I was just like, fuck. I'm like, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. And it also like capturing how other people react to death. Like one of the oh, yeah. like, tearjerker moments is that priest who's like in on the joke is still like mm-hmm. reacting like he actually died because it's just he can't disconnect the the acting from like the eventuality. And so just kind of, yeah, as you said, the meta nature of the film, I think, is just makes it even more fascinating. And yeah, mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, it's also Dick Johnson just seems like a fun hang, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, like he's also just like an insanely like cool person. And, like, <laughs> yeah. Science through it all. Is just, like... Oh, and the little and the little sequences she inserts because like their mother also. Yeah. suffered also dementia and so yeah. yeah like the like, little inserts of that kind of being like i've suffered kirsten johnson just being like admitting that she has suffered something like similar before and she's still uh, like wholly unprepared yeah like, equally it, like, tackles like the like cyclical process of it all and like mm-hmm. yeah i think the edit also like really accomplishes in like demonstrating her message in a lot of ways like how she's able to like juxtapose certain things and then like yeah like the sequence with her mom like she mentioned it's like how like this footage that she shows is like some like the only footage that she has mm-hmm. despite like her being a filmmaker for like decades and yeah like, and so her... this documentary is almost like a way to repair that for her yeah. father <laughs> and so yeah just like that defiance and like knowing that she's gonna have to go through that process again but then like being just like disgustingly brave and how she does it just, ah yeah it hurts very good yeah definitely also seattle oh yes seattle oh, yes. i was gonna seattle. mention that yes no, i had no idea it was <laughs> modern like, day seattle from there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i was like is that greenlight and then, oh, <laughs> should we visit his office is that what happens <laughs> yeah or if that was he had a nice oh, view yeah mm-hmm. does anyone else have anything else to say about i think i was distracted by all the fantasy sequences um with like the clouds and the unicorns and glitter and stuff but it totally i think it works overall mm-hmm. but not necessarily for me no no for sure yeah i think it works in like real extremities mm-hmm. that could totally i can see like people being like this totally is not right for me yeah. but i kind of liked that abstract nature of it because it's just like death is such a abstract thing but i can totally see where you're coming from but yes check it out i feel like no one has talked about this film i like yeah yeah one of the few films i was like please go watch this on my twitter mm-hmm. um, yeah like there's a little buzz like Chris there's so little and, buzz on it yeah. yeah but yeah dick johnson is dead i've got All some right. homework <laughs> um i think and i i've got some homework to do uh involving this next pick also a documentary uh i want to talk about time next okay time is my number two who else has time on their list number four yeah oh what is it on mine um, i have to look mine's number six. Oh, so mine's number four, four. time is incredible mm-hmm. time is like a must watch mm-hmm. i think garrett bradley i hope it wins the oscar like i've not seen any of the other documentaries but i don't think they are doing what garrett bradley is doing with this film which is like i wrote about it a little bit in my like top 10 on um the website but it's 89 minutes feels like fucking forever (laughs) but it i think that is a positive attribute in this film just because like the way garrett bradley is like addressing the notion of time especially for like people who are infected by our horrible criminal justice system and like just how 
for long and forever it feels to like get people out who don't deserve to be there for that extreme amount of time. And the way she kind of plays with that message of time, I think the last 30 minutes, 20 minutes of the film are like some of the most phenomenal filmmaking I've seen in 2020. And the way she plays with that is so incredible. I think the way Garrett Bradley intertwines, like she doesn't make this family, um, Sybil Fox and her family, symbolic gods of racial injustice like I think that would be detrimental to their intimate private personal story with the criminal justice system and I think what she does so effectively is to make their story feel so intimate and so personal that we feel also every aching moment that they are waiting for um, the release of her husband and we kind of experience that injustice in a way that does not feel someone is like teaching us a lesson. Like we actually feel it in our emotions rather than in our, like solely in our mind. And I think the way she edits the like found footage that she was given within to kind of give, like show the resiliency of this family and like show like how these children were raised and like how these children have had to just, go on and their everyday lives without a father it's amazing it's beautiful like it's hard for me to describe how much this film is so important and so amazing yeah sorry if that was incoherent (laughs) no that wasn't incoherent at all it was very very well said also like the way they use I like figured like Pitchfork wrote had an interview with um Garrett Bradley about like the Ethiopian composer that she like used And now I need to get into that music because the soundtrack is like very effective and it's like cyclical, abstract tonality that I think it does really well and kind of emphasizes kind of the abstractness of time as well. Yeah. Anyone else have any thoughts on time? I guess to like sort of build on what you're saying, sort of, it's just like, I mean, obviously the subject is like inherently political, but also, yeah, just the way that Bradley's filmmaking is like really deeply intimate but also like picks and chooses like her moods in the film really carefully, I thought, uh, especially like the way like Sybil's portrayed, like she's this strong matriarch who's like doing everything possible for her family. But then, and so like the film demonstrates that, but then like it really like picks these moments where like, say like when she's on the phone call, uh, like towards the end and then she's just kind of like, why is there no news? Like, and then like you see her frustration, like finally like come out and just like, obviously like he's super, careful topic to like try and address and also just like having it be so deeply intimate with this family but yeah I think like there's just like the way like the film is paced like really makes like for the ending to be like pretty cathartic for me I think that yeah that call where like she was like how come they haven't fucking like she like hangs up and then it's just like they haven't done that specific thing yet like why would you say no if they haven't even done it yet like attempted yeah. to do it uh-huh. and, and it goes from there yeah yeah and then another moment I think because you bring up a good point of like how it kind of balances that like I think another moment is like when she's sitting in the you don't really feel like they never really dictate to you the longevity that much like in a very pausing way I guess is the best mm-hmm. way I can s- describe it until like it's like towards like the very end like right before he gets released he like she makes the call to her husband and then he's like 
this tree outside. They grew it. They started planting it when I got in and now it's like a full grown ass tree. Yeah. Um, that's how long I've been there. And there's just like this pause and he's like, yeah, that's, that's really long. Just the way she kind of balances like those moments of gravity into the film. I, you're definitely, you're so correct. Yeah. Just works so well just to show how much gravitas is in this issue. Mm-hmm. Anyone else, Piper, Isaac, thoughts? Yeah, I think for me, it was pretty, it was a pretty emotional film. And I actually didn't really think about the tree scene like that, Cynthia. So that was, makes me reevaluate to a lot of other stuff. I definitely like how she went about things, because I feel like if it was too political, that probably would have, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. So I feel like it was perfectly balanced where it wasn't overt, I guess. Is that the right word? think it is yeah i used it correctly well like, it's not like didactic as much i mean which, yeah like, for me there would be like be an issue with that personally. yeah but, I mean, yeah I like like i just don't think it would have like stuck out as much as like mm-hmm. a film like i mean because obviously like these issues like people need to know about them but yeah I think the way it's portrayed here is just like it's a lot more it hits a different string i guess than it would otherwise it's just being like millions of people are incarcerated like but like this tells like one like intimate profound story and like how that affects like not just that person but it affects the whole community around and like just because like time goes on for other people like yeah it can feel fucking forever yeah i think like an interesting comparison is 13th because they kind of mm. tackle the same issue of like, mass incarceration, but 13th is like the big overview with like all the famous talking heads and like kind of tells the story that a lot of educated people are already familiar with. Whereas time is, like you said, like they're really intimate. Like it really, really gets you. It just, it touched me so much. The idea of those children like turning out so well, even in the absence of their father. Um, and the one son who like uh, became kind of a politician in college and wanted to advocate for an end to mass incarceration um, as a career. And then just like the fact that they, the parents were able to keep their relationship throughout the entire sentence. If anything, watch it for the last 30 minutes of that doc. I think it's kind of like incredible. Like, I mean, watch it for the whole thing, but I yeah, can't stress enough. It's just like, wow. Yeah. 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 The climax is. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Are we good with time? <laughs> Double entendre. Um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I, I, I really need to check that one. I've been so lazy. I feel. <laughs> I, I get it, though. Like, it's a really heavy topic. I think yeah. I think that's part of, yeah. even with the short length, I was like, I need to be emotionally ready for this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't found a time that i would be emotionally ready for it yet but that's not not laziness at all (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of that it's kind of that that's that for some other picks on here including this one never early sometimes always okay this is on a lot of people's list Mm -hmm. it's my number seven who else my number three my number one one. yeah yeah it's my number five yeah. My number five as well. So Piper, if it's your number one. Wow. You know what? The weird thing about this is that I feel like I, ha- I really don't have that much to say about it. 
Um, I just feel like it is very much a masterpiece, maybe in in the fact that it's understated. It's very like kind of near realistic in its style. And I guess in the in the importance of the subject matter in that abortions and women's reproductive rights aren't often discussed or shown on film, especially with like younger people. Um, I just really, really think of it as very high quality and I guess just as a young woman, like the subject touches me personally and it feels very important and uh, to see something like that on screen, you know, given an entire feature film. Um, Stephanie, you saw, you saw Unpregnant, right? Uh, I, my dad watched the first 30 minutes of Unpregnant and I was in the same room as him. (laughs) I saw Unpregnant. Okay. If that gives you any. <laughs> Someone on my letterbox did. I, I saw it. I saw it. Okay. What? How does that compare? Wait, un, oh, un, I thought you said unplanned. Sorry. Unplanned is the... <laughs> oh, no. Pro-life. Sorry. 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 <laughs> unplanned is the, the pro-life film, which I w- thought was what you were talking about. Oh, my God. No. Unpregnant. <laughs> I saw unpregnant. Yes, I did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> My dad did watch the first like 30 minutes of Unplanned when I was in the same room. He doesn't know what he's doing though. He like, just like, oh, what's this movie? And he put it on and he was like, I don't want to watch this right now. But okay. Yes, I watched Unpregnant, which is like a similar, it's like the same ballpark subject as um, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, but Unpregnant takes like a huge like comedic turn with it instead. But I think ultimately the message is the same. Like, it is so hard for an underage girl to get an abortion without her parents' consent or to get just female reproductive health care. There's like a didacticness in Unpregnant of like the ending sequence of like, oh, these are the steps to get an abortion, which is fine. And I think it, it's really good that it's actually like that because it's through like a very empathetic lens. It's like, oh, it's not even that hard. Like all you do is this. That's like the last 10 minutes where like, that's not necessarily like... Never really, sometimes always is very empathetic towards these two women, but I don't think that's necessarily the angle in which it is going through of like, here's the step-by-step procedure. See, it's not so hard kind of thing. But I think you're totally spot on Piper that like it's understated that like tonality is like its main attribute. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, I don't, it's really <laughs> hard to kind of talk about this film. Um, I will say that the titular sequence um, is some incredible acting. It is the most heartbreaking thing just to kind of see this woman answer these questions and like the little pauses she takes and like the questions she asks to like reiterate, like reveals so much and just like how much this girl has been like abused or like has repressed her own abuse. The film doesn't even like, touch on that outside of that yeah it's so important that they that there's some deliberate choices being made that make the film focus on the main character it's about her it's not about what had happened to her mm-hmm. in the past mm-hmm. um which was so good and like i think there's always a moment in movies and tv show episodes where like you're like oh that's why it's called the episode title or the movie title is called that and the, the one in this one, this was like visceral because I had no idea. I mean, I feel like it's like a tiny bit of a spoiler, maybe like what the title is referring to. But I had no idea. Like I looked at the title and I was like, what? Which dead ass producer let that fly? Like I was like, what is it? 
what 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 does that referring to and then i'm watching the movie on the train back up to seattle and i'm like oh no oh no but yeah it's phenomenal i think the unglamorousness of it speaks to what the character is going through and like when it's done it's like i just feel relief i'm just relieved like that was such an ordeal it's honest it's like incredible visual storytelling on like what's going on with like how the camera lingers and creates so much tension just by lingering there or like kind of the way i think there was like when they go into that arcade it feels like so like haunting like all the pinball machines are just screaming in like our ears i'm like oh my god something bad is gonna happen every time a fucking man walks into the I frame i like mm. wanted to scream <laughs> Every um, time a man walked on screen, I was like, oh shit, what's he gonna do? Is he gonna do something bad? And like the way she just captures female relationships too. Like, I love the sequence where they get mad at each other and like instead of just being like, I'm sorry, it's just like, oh, they'll do each other's makeup and they'll forgive each other because that's just kind of how their relationship works and it's so touching. It's just like, oh yeah, this is how yeah. you do it. And or this shot where she has to hold her cousin's hand towards yeah. that, film. that one yeah. that one that, uh, that's what i'll remember from that film which yes. is just like incredibly like tough to watch but the bond there is just like it speaks volumes so yeah no it's like like what you said pepper it's like very near realistic and like the script well everything about the film is like very subdued like you guys have said but like even like the script like saves like dialogue for like certain moments even and like a lot of the way like autumn's emotions are portrayed is just through like the camera like lingering on her portrait or whatever yeah i mean like oh sorry I, I was just gonna say like for all the minimalist stuff like whenever i see a minimalist film i always think like distance like there's there's a purposeful distance between me and what's happening in the story and it's like for this like i i like i i resonated with the characters just so deeply and I think that's just a contribution from like the strong writing and the strong direction. And like, it's crazy to think that both Sydney Flanagan and I forget who plays Skylar, but it's their first Talia performance. Like, yeah, Talia Ryder. Like it's it, their first performances ever. That's just, I can't wait to see where they go. So but no, like just the way like the fucking like, violence of the patriarchy is like portrayed and like how women have to survive under it. It's just like such like a quiet torture even. And it's just and like <laughs> just such a lack of choice Indeed. and also like like the lady at the beginning of the movie who like tries to convince autumn that like oh yeah like, yeah know, just like the way like propaganda messaging can like seep through and like just becomes sort of like unconscious but like seeing how deeply that affects people this is one of the best films i've seen like portraying that so incredibly powerful definitely could have been higher on my list also sharon van etten isn't it for all you yeah. music lovers out there. And Julia Holter does the score and it's <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> lovers rock. Oh. Let's do it. It's on Piper's four. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, really? Cynthia, I thought you liked it a lot. Yeah, let's <laughs> let, yeah, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> no, I actually really like it. <laughs> wow. Um I just I I loved it and I think I love it more in retrospect. I think I think the the small axe films are so short that I just kind of like turn them on like 
kind of expect the time to fly by, but this was like very, very, um, gosh, what's the word, like enveloping. It just felt like such an experience. Like I really was there having a party in, you know, the early 80s in London, um, like relaxing after a hard week of work, being part of a community. Cynthia, you often talk about like the Steve McQueen's like being able to capture bodies. I think that's such a good observation. That's very, very pertinent to this film, especially the the Silly Games song. There's like a, oh, a yes. mid-minute long sequence where everybody's like singing and dancing to the same song. And then eventually it's like all acapella and the whole room is like, like singing the chorus. It's so good. And then the main actors are super attractive and they have a cute little romance. In fact, there are so many beautiful people in these movies, in the small acts movies. <laughs> <laughs> Um, including the guy who played Kunta Kinte in the, um, it was, it was like the redo of Roots that they did a few years ago. Anyway, I just saw him and I was like, Kunta Kinte! And then he just, I didn't, I had no clue he was British. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, and especially I love films that take place over like a small time period. And this was like the course of one night bleeding into the morning. And I thought that was really beautiful and just shows like what one night can do to you. Kind of like the before movies. That is a good comparison. Lovers Rock to the Before Trilogy. Has anyone else seen it before I reply to Piper? I don't want to get into a debate. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) I love this film as well. It was my 10 and then some stuff happened. (laughs) Um, And it was, it's my like 11. So if that makes any difference. No, yeah, I just love the way how Steve McQueen captures kind of the human body and how like we interact with one another whether it be in love or in disgust or in fear or in hesitancy I think just the way he captures those transactions that's such a weird way of describing that but whatever is just so intimate and beautiful and it just really shows kind of the precision in which like human interaction often has and like you said like it really made me this film really like hurt in a quarantine way it was just like i wish i could go to a house party and just dance and have fun like even them dancing the fucking kung fu fighting (laughs) um is is just so joyous and just the way he captures joy and people just having fun with each other is beautiful and yeah yeah lover's rock is beautiful and steve mcqueen is one of the greatest living directors of the 21st century there i said it i love the fact that it like starts from the very beginning it goes to the very end in that you mm-hmm. know like, you see the people like moving all of the like turntables and everything like into the like up the stairs into this house um, mm-hmm. and you see everybody like putting on makeup and deciding what to wear and you're kind of confused at the beginning yeah kind of the process of how to make create this joyous night and how much joy everyone has in doing that process and like glamming up or like getting their turntable ready or whatever yeah it's just cool to see joy on a screen (laughs) uh and yeah anyone else i haven't seen it here i can relate i guess i have a lot of films to watch plus on top of uh film class do you want to move on to the next one yeah sure i would love to talk about sound of metal (laughs) <laughs> by, by okay her. no i'm so, just finally looking. i feel like the last four <laughs> movies haven't been on my list and i've just been sitting there yeah uh sound of metal i think it kind of um in a way it's kind of like i feel like this would make a really interesting double pairing with something like soul yeah both those films i think are pretty existential in a way where it relates to like 
I thought I thought like my place was this and it turns out that might not actually like when you have that taken away from you like w- what are you then and like what what sort of what like what behaviors uh indicate you know the kind of person that you are and stuff I think um well I mean first off just like technical stuff this is like the best mixing I've seen or I've, I've heard uh in anything I think it, it's so it's so nails I mean I've never experienced deafness and I just I feel like that's as close to what that experience must be like in a cinematic form that I've, I've ever experienced and I think that's just something that that was just sort of a this odd thing to behold. I think part of it was, I, I've heard the word like didactic being thrown around. I think this is kind of didactic in a little bit in the way it, how it um, portrays the deaf community. And I think though what, what draws me to it is sort of like, is that I, I think like the acting is, is, is really, really strong. Like Paul Racy especially, I think was phenomenal in this movie. And Paul Racy, he, in the film, basically, uh, he's a recovering alcoholic who lost his hearing. And he runs uh, basically just this house for you know, all these people that are, that are deaf or, or hard of hearing. And basically just embracing that as like, as not a disability, but just, just something that's a part of who you are and that you should embrace. And I think seeing that versus... Um, Seeing that juxtaposed with Ruben, who is just so willing to do anything to get out of that situation and not accept it for the longest time, was just such an interesting juxtaposition. And like the last shot was, I thought, incredible of this movie. I won't spoil it, but I don't know if any of (laughs) what I've been saying has been coherent. There's a lot that I feel like I didn't say. I think Uh, you nailed it. Mm -hmm. The Ruben's denial, Riz Ahmed, Riz Ahmed's supremacy. I love Rosamund. He's great in this movie. His, like, I think his continued denial of what's happening and, like, the doctors keep telling him, you need to preserve what hearing you still have left. You you need, you can't, like, that's what matters. And he doesn't understand that. And there's, like, a scene where, like, Paul Racy is great. I didn't, I didn't think he would get nominated for an Oscar, but he did. I was like, wow, go get it. Yes. But he, like, there's, like, a scene where he accuses Ruben of being an addict or of some sort. And I was like, that's, it was very powerful. And I was thinking, so my high school band teacher and his wife, so my high school band teacher is married to a middle school choir teacher, and they had their first baby a couple years ago, and he turned out to be deaf. And so like, as music educators, they were just devastated. And, and they like announced it on Facebook, like he, he was like eight months old, and they had discovered that he couldn't hear. And everybody's responses were like, I'm so sorry, that must be so terrible. But it's like, if we adopt the way of thinking that Paul Racy has in this film, is it like, we're all automatically, I guess all of us that are hearing abled, I suppose, we're all like, oh, that's so, so terrible. That's something to be sad and sorry about. And they chose to get implants for their son because becoming deaf later in your life and being born deaf are different scenarios. And they just thought what was best was to get implants. But I think about this a lot about how if they had chosen not to, and they just chose to like send him to a school for the deaf and have him learn sign language, that that decision would be like, it should be equally supported by able to hearing people because like Paul Racy says in the movie, they, they don't treat deafness as like a negative. They don't look, they don't treat it as something that needs to be fixed. And that's like, it was really powerful. 
cute. Like, and I'm not deaf, but I do have titanitis because I play piccolo. And so the there's the weird relationship being displayed with what are you without like, or what what is Ruben without him playing drums and stuff? That was very powerful. And he does a good job. And I'm pretty sure this is a directorial debut as well. And so the director does a good job and like the sound, the scene where he's in the pharmacy and he's like trying to figure out what the pharmacist is saying, like that was important. It was, it was good. And, oh, and the monologue that Paul Racy gives about like make, when he makes Ruben get up in the morning and just sit, can you be comfortable with yourself? Can you be comfortable with silence and your, your own thoughts and stuff? Like I've, I vibe so hard with it. It was good. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I think ultimately this movie is just, it's kind of just about the grieving process, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. he finally ultimately reaches that acceptance, that stillness at the very end. And I, I think, I don't know, there's so much, I feel like there's so much subtextually that, that that's going on in this movie. Like, this is such a good screenplay. Um, I don't know if it was nominated. It's written, it was written by the person who directed Blue Valentine. Yeah, but I think there's like, there's there's hints throughout that it's like there's hints that it, like it's so easy to go into like the to retreat into like everything's terrible like I want to change everything else around actually confronting what's in front of you confronting yourself is the is like the hardest part I think that's reflected in there's a scene when Ruben goes to um, goes to Joe and tells him that he's going to get the the hearing implants and and Joe basically tells him like well you can't be here anymore because that's just going to be a reminder that some people that some people think of what these people have as a disability I don't know I just I thought I thought yeah you just said powerful I I think it was just a really really poignant film and I'm down for like any movie about acceptance and perseverance in just the worst conditions yeah I, I thought it was really really good that last scene really did it for me I think came full circle mm-hmm, for sure Unless, um, does anyone have anything else to add about Sound of Metal? I don't know. I just really love these uh, personal growth films, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, that's my hot take. Not really hot. Not much of a take, <laughs> but there it is. No, me, me too, though. Yeah. I, I was just going to say that, like what you said, Jim, about like acceptance. Those are very, very poignant films mm-hmm. where y- you can see like a very distinct change between, you know, who they were at the beginning and who they are now. Right. Both their you know situation and in their attitude towards it and I also liked how they treated romance in the film like kind of the drudgery of it and the difficulty and mm-hmm. wanting don't want to spoil anything but like like how they choose to to maintain their relationship amidst you know these challenges and and at what point at one point they kind of decide that they've been that they're no longer compatible I guess gosh I feel like I just sorry you can edit that out <laughs> I'm tired. I'm just, it's I, fine. You can keep going. When yeah. they dictate okay. their relationship, <laughs> I think I think set it, boundaries. Yeah, yeah. I I just love that um, they don't have a big fight or anything. Like nothing's like it's all so amicable. And it's like you were good for me for like four or five years, and you took the best care of me and taught me love and stuff. But then like like we're no mm-hmm. longer fit for each other. And right. Yeah. And then I totally forgot the yeah. thing. She's like half French. That just like slipped my mind. Completely. <laughs> I was no, like, I, Matthew Almerick is in this movie. What the fuck? Yeah. I, um, I'm just now remembering like that, that last little bit of dialogue between them. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, you know, 
it's okay. You, you saved my life. Mm-hmm. And then that's just it. And I, th- I think that's the last bit of dialogue in the, in the movie. I, I could be wrong, but really, really good. I, I love this movie. Yeah, those bittersweet romances, those really get me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, this, could, this movie could be higher. It probably will be, like looking back a year from now, I think. I really loved it. Thumbs nice. up from the people here at Film Club. That was good. Yeah. Watch it. That's good. Three, three uh, thumbs up from me. Ooh. Why? Oh. How? <laughs> <laughs> that is up for the audience to interpret. Oh, wait. So it was Isaac's number five, Stephanie's number four, and Jim's number five. Number, five. number five. My number five, yeah. Cool, cool. All, All right. right. Are we on to the next? We are. God, this more. long. Yeah, I, I just wrote down all the ones we still have to get to. How about let's talk about another round? I love this fucking movie. What a fucking time. Yeah. Gee. What a life. Another round. Um, This is on my number five. This is my number seven. My number eight. I haven't seen it. Number eight. This movie slaps so fucking hard. <laughs> Sorry, we need to inject some energy into this recording. Um, <laughs> yeah. And this fucking movie has it. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. I think I, right now. Yeah, I wrote like a one sentence thing on Letterboxd and I was like, why aren't we talking about this movie? Because it's so anxiety inducing. It is. It yeah. Has and that was so true. <laughs> same levels as like Uncut Gems and Her Smell because like, what I think what I like about this movie so much is it's not like commending or condemning yeah. alcohol. It's not like mm, alcohol is great, but it's not like mm, alcohol is horrible. Mm-hmm. It kind of has this in-between exploration of some pretty good like things that could happen if you were a little mm-hmm. loose on alcohol, but then mm-hmm. like some really terrible things that can happen if yeah. you're onto it too much and i think wittenberg balances that so well that it's ultimately kind of up to the audience to decide how they want to go with their own relationship with alcohol i think just the way he kind of bursts that fizzy bubble um just because like Mm -hmm. you're with these four men for a majority of the film and you're like oh my god are they getting away with their scheme of like drinking alcohol and um throughout their whole work day and then he kind of bursts it with like the child being like have you been drunk this whole time kind of like implying that like the people can see it mm-hmm. that people can see that they're their new behavior and it's being affected by something um and just kind of how he like bursts that glee in a way um and complicates the matter more and just it's so fun to see four guys just having fun, but at the same time, it's also like very nuanced in the way of those four guys having fun and like how dysfunctional their own lives prior to it were. That it's almost like it's their own fault that they've come to this conclusion, this pretty bad conclusion of like, oh, just drinking will solve everything. It really wonderfully explores kind of the intoxicating nature of alcohol and like, oh, it can get rid of things really quickly if we wanted it to. But it also has some really, really extreme consequences if gone too far. And just like the backstory of the making of this film is also just like incredible. For those who don't know, Wittenberg's daughter was supposed to actually act in the film and she died in a car crash like a couple days before they started filming and so like this is kind of like a love letter to her in a way of like 
experiencing life, if alcohol is the answer or not, Wittenberg isn't here to dictate that, but there's definitely that thesis of just wake up, um, it's okay to move on kind of thing that I also find just really pertinent and welcoming as a message in the year 2020 and 2021. And yeah, has, I think, a really fun and catchy <laughs> original song. I have no idea why it wasn't nominated. <laughs> but yeah, really yeah. well back, like bookends the film. And of course, Mads Mikkelsen dancing, A+. What a dancey dance, yeah. This is similar, somewhat similar to Palm Springs in that it's like a commentary about how you can reappreciate like the monotony of day-to-day life, I guess. Because the, like, at least for what it seemed like to me, Mads Mikkelsen sort of goes on like a, like things start to get better right after he starts drinking. And then like, then there's like a moment where that, that hill ends, that he peaks and then things start to go haywire for both him and the people he's with. And we see all of them in their like different situations. Some of them have families, some of them are lonely and things like that. And I really liked the, the, the movies intercut with like little, um, <laughs> like when they're, they're, they're like making, making a thesis about this, um, this, alcohol thing and the movies intercut with their um bac levels which i thought that was just such a nice touch I, and and like the the thesis that they're typing it was a nice way to like bookmark the film for sure yeah yeah like i mean i think the film would have been like stupidly boring if it was just super like open like oh alcohol is bad or alcohol is good like i think i mean it's more just like a vehicle i mean obviously the alcohol presence is constantly there and that is part of the message but i think it's more i see it more as like a vehicle of like how like self discovery and rediscovery is like constantly happening mm-hmm. and like it's really easy to lose yourself in terms of like just life whether that be through alcoholism or just like realizing one day that like you're not the person you thought you were or that you had been and then like just taking those journeys and seeing how different people like go through doing that and like how like precarious like every situation can be despite how mundane it might seem yeah and plus it's just a blast like i mean there's obviously like poignant moments but like outside of that like there's like so many like moments of like joy that i feel like are super necessary right now like uh that specs kid yeah (laughs) specs yeah definitely how about you piper wow sorry i'm getting tired Losing oh, God. ability to analyze film. Um, uh, let's see. I've seen a lot of film bros only refer to it by its Danish name, Druk. Which you're <laughs> Nobody knows Danish. Um, <laughs> um, I yeah, I loved it. I loved the like. I feel like something that I have encountered in a lot of these films is like a like a good balancing of tonality of like acknowledging that life can really, really suck at sometimes, but then also that we all kind of have the ability to push through that and to find like joy and euphoria and beauty in the world. And I think, yeah, I think another round does a really good job of this, especially with like the last scene. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that that to me makes it clear that the film doesn't have any definitive stance on alcohol. I mean, isn't he drinking as he's- Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like a condemnation of anything. It's a celebration of, of, of life and everything and all the pain that it might hold. And yeah, I thought it was really beautiful. 
I liked the premise. It was kind of fun. Like my It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I I worry also that I'm a boring person, so I totally get <laughs> Mads Mickelson's struggle. Yeah. Um, those yeah, teenagers scare me. Yeah. <laughs> Although yeah, how can Mads Mickelson now. ever have a struggle with life? He is Rihanna's bitch and bitch better <laughs> have my money. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a man. <laughs> yeah, that is a man. <laughs> But yeah, another round. Um, if you haven't seen it, highly check. Recommend it. Yeah, it's a good quarantine too. watch. Yeah, like there's captions, but like if your friends are assholes, like I think it's a really accessible movie. So mm-hmm. yeah, the opening scene is really cute too. Oh movie? yeah, like all the young people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very cute. Okay, how about let's do first cow next? Fuck yeah. Like, Cynthia should introduce <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, first cow is my number three. Who else has first cow on their list? I have it at number nine. All right, cool. And it's Rohan's number eight. <laughs> Which, if he comes back in time, he might be able to squeeze an opinion in it. Rohan likes it. That's his opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how can you not? It is a Kelly Reichardt film. Kelly Reichardt is the most important filmmaker of the 21st century, in my opinion. I think. Huh? I said, ding, ding, ding. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Good thing it's not the end of the 21st century, then. Holy fuck. Well, we're going to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I just wanted to add some controversy. Oh, I'm about to add some controversy. (laughs) I think it does what Nomadland tries to do much better. Yeah. Um... (laughs) It is what I've always found so fascinating about Reichardt's work. And it's exemplified in this film is how her critique is so loud, despite her understated um, and subtle techniques in filmmaking. And I think that's especially prevalent in First Cow. I think First Cow is her, I guess, most la- her loudest film of her filmography. And I think just the way she's so still in capturing life and kind of allowing it to enter into her frames and out of the, her frames without forcing it, forcing the issue, I think gives more life into the frames and what she is capturing. I think the worlds that she is building is so complicated and nuanced the way she lingers on like a child just getting cow, like milk from a cow or like natives selling stuff to white people you kind of understand like the colonial dynamic going on there that's really bad you see this like poor white boy trying to buy the oily cakes and he never gets it and like kelly reichardt like lingers on her on his face even though he's such a like just nothing character really but it just truly builds the world and like kind of sees like how capitalism has fucked just about everyone in the situation except for the white guy who has the cow just like how this guy can't even buy an oily cake because everyone else who has more money and powers getting is able to buy off those cakes before him even just like focusing on that guy who's like admiring the new shoes that cookie got just understanding like oh these people are so motivated by capitalistic tendencies and wanting to have better things that they'll marvel so much at new shoes and just like the grace in which right heart gives these people and the main characters himself of cookie and bing Lu 
is just she understands kind of the struggle that is going on and just gives them so much grace in her filmmaking. So intimately capturing Cookie baking cakes or like picking up a mushroom and just like understanding the intricacy within the monotony and the mel- um and the mundane and just the work that these people have to do. And then she kind of puts it in a into a little caper and I think it's her one of the most digestible films of her filmography in that way and it's just so loud in its quietness and I know that's like an oxymoron but I just really feel like that's what she is able to capture so perfectly and that's why I like love her just the way she makes all these complications and within emotions and society and our rules and is able to capture these contradictions that feel super realistic to everyday life. I think she just nails it on the head. And that's why I think she's the most important filmmaker of the 21st century. And she's my favorite director. So yeah, I love First Cow. Love Kelly Reichardt. <laughs> Does anyone else have anything else to say about that? I think Cynthia, you know, summed up most of it. But I, uh, I really uh, couldn't have said it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... I mean, obviously, Reichardt has made, like, angry films in the past, like... All her films, I think, are angry to a certain degree. But, like, this one, probably, like, definitely the most overt for me in that, like, it's, like, directly mentioned in some parts of the dialogue where, like, they're talking about the environment or whatnot. And then also just the boat motif, how, like, it's just, like, the fucking capitalistic machine is just slowly just like dragging its feet through everything and destroying everything in its path and but like casually and no one really seems to say anything about it so yeah but also like there's still like this like tenderness in her filmmaking that is always so present and that's uh, very visible between the relationship between the two main characters like despite it all like they're just two buddies man and yeah so and also the cow's fucking beautiful oh, the cow shot. <laughs> yeah wow. that shit i was like wow like if, wow that, i almost like cried cow. it yeah. was so beautiful um <laughs> i just think like the ambiguity in which she like puts into her films like the way the film kind of just cuts and it's end it's done it like the way it ends it's not like oh and that's how they that's how that happened it just cuts it under it like respects the audience's intellect to kind of piece together those two and how they are related to the beginning of the film and the present time and it she is just what i love yeah i just love that she doesn't think her audience is stupid that they will piece together things and figure it out i love how she cuts the present day stuff with and how she goes back in time. Like the way that edit works is phenomenal. And then the way it just ends and she doesn't really tell you anything else is it's ambiguous, like life, like our capitalist society. But I think it has a similar thing of Nomadland of like, oh, but we, we, we can still keep pushing and have grace and appreciate kind of the little things. And that will be my hottest take of the night <laughs> that, it does what Nomadland wants to do at a higher level. I'm Bring sorry. First, folks. Yeah. Oh, Rohan's back. Oh, there he is. Rohan. Last thoughts on first cow, first cow before we move on. I went on first a cow. huge spiel. On the spot. Yeah. Let's hear it. Friend, friendship, capitalism, anger. Kelly Reichardt's amazing. Done. There we go. There we go. All right, Jim. Do you want to move on? Fantastic. Uh, great film. Let's do I'm Thinking of Ending Things. 
So right. <laughs> yeah, it's my so, number four. Um, it's my number it's... Th three. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, it's my number six. And then what was it, Joel? Uh, my number nine. Okay, Jim. Since it's your highest, why don't you give your spiel? Sure. Okay. So, I honestly I wasn't entirely familiar. I was kind of familiar with with Charlie Coffin, but I had never seen Synecdoche, New York, or anything prior to this, or uh, the animated one he worked on. That I hear is problematic. Question mark. But anyway, I saw this movie and like was instantly. Um, like I feel like every every year there's there's that one movie that just makes me go well, what the fuck, and that I cannot get out of my head. Like in in two in twenty eighteen that was probably sorry to bother you. Twenty nineteen it was. Okay. I'm trying to build up a pattern, but it's not working. Twenty twenty <laughs> it was it was I'm thinking of ending things, and I I feel like it's one of those movies where it feels everything is uh, everything feels so deliberate. But you're not you're not meant to know how everything connects. That's not really the point of it. And I think just like that being said, like sort of the the journey of of unpiecing these uh, seemingly like incongruous bits where they're just in the car and all of a sudden it becomes this uh, random rant conversation between like the the two leads. Gosh, I don't know. It's actually been a while since I've seen this, but. Yeah, I th I, there's something just so idiosyncratic about what it does with the production design and jumping with time and all these different hypothetical situations, how it blends. It's just, it, yeah, it's just a really interesting movie. W words are evading me right now, but. <laughs> I mean, I agree. I love this film. I, You're totally spot on in like, I don't think this film is really meant for like you to like complete the puzzle in any way like I don't think Kaufman wants you to and he doesn't really care but I think what you said about its deliberateness is kind of spot on I think what I marvel most about this film is its editing and it's kind of off kilter editing that is so purposeful it felt like the way Jesse Buckley and wow I'm forgetting Jesse Pullman's are talking to one another it's like they're like talking over each other like almost they know what they're gonna say after one another almost kind of like this weird abstract mind fuck that's pretty much right. just the way he edits the film to feel like you are in someone's possibly in someone's mind and it's all over the place like time is spiraling out of control like mm -hmm. you have one memory where like tony collette is super old and another memory where like he's taking care of his father it's just jumps back and forth in a very purposeful matter that reflects the abstractness of the mind and I think he does that so well and then paralleling creating a parallel with that janitor storyline and how he edits and intertwines that janitor storyline and how he overlays words that Jesse Buckley is saying with the janitor visual, like visually putting the janitor on the screen and forcing the audience to kind of figure out if they are related or not and make their own assumptions. I love the cut where the janitor has just finished watching that Robert Zemeckis film. I put in air quotes because it's, I don't think it's a Zemeckis no. film, right? And then 20 minutes later, they re Jesse Buckley and um, Jesse Plemons' characters kind of reenact that in their little 
house, just kind of jumping into like creating that connection. But at the same time, I think Kaufman has just like this beautiful empathy for the human condition and what it means to be alone and kind of have these really abstract and planned thoughts because that's what makes us human, you know? Yeah. I'm curious, has anybody, did any, has anybody read the book that it's based off of? I think reading the book before having watched it kind of makes it easier to digest. Yeah, I I agree. Because like, I had an interesting experience. I watched it with my brother. And my brother, he he did not get it at all. And he was just like, what the fuck did I just watch? And there was first 10 solid minutes, I just sat there in silence as he asked me over and over again, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? To which I asked him, figure it out by yourself. I eventually told him what happened in the book. And I think the book provides a lot of clarity, but I agree. Like if you're, if that's what uh, people are looking for, like highly recommend the book. It's a really good book, but it's, there's, there's such a somberness. And I agree. Like the, he, there, like Kaufman is just so good at getting the thoughts that are in the corner of my mind out into the world and make it not seem like pretentious or like, you know, just like weird. Like it's weird, but like, it's not like, off-putting or anything and I think the the beauty of the the film is that he really is able to, to capture that but also like there's a lot of like really interesting things he does and a lot of the additions he adds from the book and some of the things that he removes from it it makes it his own and there's a lot of stuff about art um that I particularly found really interesting like the whole Pauline Kael essay mm-hmm. that that Jesse Buckley goes off of that's like it, it was great and you know, I, I think it just points to the thing that I admire most about Kaufman, which is just how personal everything he makes is, for better or worse. You know, the problematic thing uh, from Anomaly, so there's one small thing, like a very quick cut when they're in the parking lot that like kind of got at that really weird sort of lonely vibe um, that kind of makes Anomaly so problematic, at least for me. But beyond that, like, I just think I just admire like everything Kaufman's done, just how personal he's able to make it and how unique it is. And, you know, it, it, I still think about the movie. So that's always a good indicator of a great movie in my mind. Yeah. Joelle and I kind of talked about the book in relation to the movie over a conversation that we had. Um, and we just, I was telling him that like, basically Kaufman takes the last 20 pages of that book and kind of spreads that, that's his like that's what he took out of that book and then just did that whole movie based on the last 20 pages so like I don't think you necessarily have to read it to kind of understand it but I think it does help it provides a good gateway in yeah but even then I feel like the book's tone is like a lot more like dismissive of mm-hmm. well I don't want to like give it away I guess but like dismissive of like whatever character it's centering on and like just kind of just like oh there's just sort of descending into whatever the fuck whereas the film i think girl has a lot more agency and like maybe just isn't some sort of like fragment of an imagination or something and i think it like communicates and like centers more on like that like yeah like the strange like sparseness of the mind a lot more uh <laughs> than the, the book itself does because like the book definitely feels like it's sort of like building to this culmination whereas the the film is a lot more like comfortable and just like sitting with whatever it's trying to say. So I think, yeah. And on that note, I think the film is a lot more ambitious in terms of what it's trying to tackle. So I think, I yeah. 
um, I think we talked about it a little bit, but the book reads more as like a psychological thriller, emphasis on the thriller. Rather, mm -hmm. this um, film is much more of an exploration on the mind and it's willing to introduce that the, the twist, I suppose, um, yeah. pretty early on in, um, with like the jump cuts to the janitor. Right. So I think it's a lot more like tender, I guess, in a way. Mm -hmm. It is. Handles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I've always enjoyed about Kaufman. He has a pretty humanistic outlook towards life that I do appreciate. I've not seen Anomalisa, but or Synecdoche, but I've seen his written stuff, and they seem to follow that similar theme. Yeah, I think um, all. I, I think everything that you guys said was um, was spot on. Like, I think this the movie is definitely. I read it as just like it's a rumination of of like the, those thoughts that you have when you're alone. You're just thinking about certain situations that happen in your life, or basically just the, the spirals into like what ifs. And so, like, I I think you get hints of that, like when it's the the janitor and he's watching the movie and like he's witnessing that the one couple out of nowhere just dance in that school and just random moments where uh where um jesse buckley's character's name gets changed around and um all of a sudden like one time like she's like a a science master student and one time she's like a film critic and all like th these things like completely interchange and it's um it's just so it's so dynamic and interesting and there's there's a lot to chew on and i i agree there's um there's definitely like that sense of of tenderness that i mean i haven't read the book but i imagine like in comparison that there's this is like yeah it definitely does have like those those thriller elements but it's this is just it's a lot more cerebral yeah at the same time kind of kind of tender and and, and soft really 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 interesting film cool uh does anyone have any more thoughts on that I felt weird because I signed up to um, review I'm Thinking of Any Things and then I ended up like detesting it. It was just like one of those films where I, I'm just so angry that I'm having to watch it. And it was like two and a half hours and I, it was a real struggle. To find I felt the same way, Piper. Yeah, so that's why I didn't say anything. But now the gym has left and I know Jim really, really liked it. And I even DM'd him on Instagram. I was like, do you want to maybe review this instead? Like maybe someone who liked it should review it. <laughs> <laughs> bad and i tried to be like super like neutral in my review but i really didn't oh, did you still write it Patrick? yeah yeah i did i was like it's it's very unique it's interesting yeah i think like i was i didn't like that i felt so confused the whole time and it was like two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, I finished watching it and I was like, okay, I, I guess this is what I think happened. And then I'm reading all these reviews and everybody was like, oh my God, that was so deep. I can't <laughs> believe what Kaufman did. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm so confused. And like, everybody's acting like they, like, it's like, oh my gosh, I pulled this deep ass meaning out of it. And I'm just like, that did not happen for me. And I'm not like about to jump on this train just because everybody else is on it. I just didn't get it, but yeah. that's just me. It was unique. Yeah, I'm Maybe you're, you're just not able to comprehend the deep meaning. That's, that's literally how I feel sometimes. I'm like questioning my own, like- I know, I'm like, am I smart enough to be yeah. a film student? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, y'all, but like, film, film Twitter is gonna come crusading after y'all. 
I know. We're coming after you. We're coming after you. Yeah. Me, Joelle, and Rohan are coming after you. Sorry. I can't believe you fucking didn't like it. Oh my God. (laughs) I see see both sides. All right. You know. All right. Here we go. I have the last four we need to do. Let's start with do we want to do soul? I think. Okay. Soul or promising young woman? Let's do soul. Soul. Yay. Uh, So soul is my number 10. My I'm number five. Um, Isaac. It's my number three. All right. Cool. Isaac, since it's your number three, you have it at the highest. What do you want to say about soul? Okay. So, like, after we talked about Onward, I can, I see your point, like, you know, what Pixar does a really good job of balancing, like, entertaining children and leaving the adults with something to comprehend. And I 100% think soul captures that not to spoil anything but i just love how the ending leaves room for self-reflection it's almost like the sound of metal again where it's like trying to figure out your own place in the world it's been a while since i've seen it i saw it when it came out ages ago because time does not exist anymore yes (laughs) it was it was sometime in the blur of quarantine that's all i remember (laughs) Was it, didn't it come out on Disney? Yeah, it came out around Thanksgiving. Was it? Was oh, it I thought it was Christmas. on Christmas. Oh, was it Christmas? Sorry. It might have been Christmas. Everything blends together. <laughs> I watched it on Christmas morning. Anyways, I just like I I really like how Joe just has like at the very beginning of the film this very predefined notion of what he wants in life, and then throughout the film we kind of see like, oh, is this really what I want? Or you know. There's kind of like multiple pathways he could choose and like pursue and be happy with. And at the end of the film, it's not like there's one clear answer. So I really like how there's just that openness. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I was like, support your mu- music educators. They're so important. <laughs> I'm, I love, love your music educators. Like there's so much talk about like, oh, let's get, you know, young kids interested in computer science. Let's make STEM education so accessible. I'm like, <laughs> I'm making arts accessible for young children. Okay, instruments cost money. They'd be expensive. Anyways, but I, I, I mean, I, it was like a funny movie. Like, are we in H.E. double hoggy sticks? I laughed so hard. And my parents were like, what's wrong with you? Anyways. <laughs> it was really funny but i like again i do like what you mentioned what isaac mentioned about how he sort of i think 22 is like oh this is your life it looks pretty crappy and joe was like no it wasn't there's all these little like he he realizes things about his past life that change the way he views his future and then there's that like really deep quote about like the fish and the ocean and the water and i was like Oh my gosh. He, they did it with Inside Out and they did it again with Soul with this weird abstract concept of like being in your, like what, who you are and what you're made of and everything. Yes, I I like it. It was, it was so much fun. And like the abstract, co- the design of, that was so funny. And Terry, Terry was a riot. He is so funny. Like top tier Pixar stuff. It's so strange. I watched it and I'm like, is this for kids? Like, is this genuinely made for kids? Like, it's so confounding to think that, like, a major Disney studio made an animated picture that's, like, almost, like, not for kids. Like, I'm tr- 
like I spent the whole time trying to think like like what would a kid connect to this and like the stories I've heard is like the kid like young children are like oh cool you know the cat and it's like that's pretty much what they connected to and it's like but that's the beauty of it also because they're going to grow up with these such mature lessons that are sewn into these stories that like you know you don't really think about like I don't really think about like the, fa- the values of family from the Incredibles I just think oh strong boy volcano you know that's th- those are my <laughs> memories of the Incredibles and so like that's and, but, but like you think about it and those are some of the great values that like these movies will teach kids is like about like how to self-reflect on your life which is like an, a very important thing that like you know you, you I, I think it's a really mature thing for like young kids to even be exposed to and I I, I don't know I just like like I, I'd watch that with my grandpa none of you know my grandpa but like he's the most wholesome person he he wouldn't hurt a fl- like he gets mad when I kill flies like he get he legit gets mad and so like he, he's just I, I, I was just imagining like it, it's just such a happy thing like at the end like such a joyous thing it has a weird connection with like Dick Johnson is dead is sort of like trying to find joy in the existentialism and like death it's 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 a really weird connection but um but yeah I think it, it's definitely top tier Pixar Pete Doctor just knows how to like go really weird and really philosophical while also making it like really enjoyable I can't believe that a generation of children are going to grow up with this movie and they're going to like look back on it and have that reaction that you said like that's nuts this is this film's gonna have a legacy i think there's also just something i mean what i vibed with ew that word whatever um what i i guess whatever vibed with really hard with this film was kind of how in a world right now where it feels like you have to be like extraordinary to stand out and feel like to make a difference like you need like a million Instagram followers or whatever some bullshit like that the beauty and mundanity and normalcy that this film's like preaches there's this like three minute montage of is like tree of life-esque that I found just very enlightening. And I think there's something so beautiful within that messaging. And maybe that's my quarantine brain just really grasping on to kind of that idea. But I think just it executes that so well. And like, you don't need to be star NBA player or extreme artist or philosophical, brilliant man. You can be just a teacher and helping kids achieve things that they enjoy and helping them enjoy and figure out their own path. Um, That's just equally as good. I love the abstract animations that they do with the souls, Um, the soul, they're not the souls, but the the people in charge of the souls. I thought that was Jerry's. The Jerry's, yeah. The concept itself of like some person is just some, like a bunch of embodiments of a bunch of different things and kind of exploring that. The in the zone concept was a fun and A plus mix joke. A plus mix joke. A plus. <laughs> I just it find it work. funny that the Knicks started work. winning afterwards. Yeah. It doesn't work now. <laughs> the Knicks are over 500. <laughs> yeah. It changed all after that. So we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love Soul. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross also like, oh, yes. like A plus score. 
Yeah. It, 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 and John cool. Batiste for like the, the jazz compositions. Like, great. Like, all right. Does anyone have anything else to say about that? Nope. Okay, cool. Oh, Piper. It's not that interesting. It's just, oh my God, I'm forgetting their name. Howlin Pressburger. Those oh, like yeah. two, yeah, um, like a pair of film directors from the 40s in Britain. I saw A Matter of Life and Death like mm-hmm. right before I watched this. And it's from 1947. And it's about like an RAF pilot who dies and then goes to heaven. But then he has to like argue um, his case towards like heaven court about whether or not to go back and then the like stairway to heaven like celestial escalator is like taken from that movie so i thought that was really cool it looks really cool in soul and then it looks super cool like they literally like built it um using you know 40s technology yeah those two i need i need to get onto that filmography i need to watch the red shoes (laughs) yeah i've got the blu-ray i just Uh have not that's been on my watch list forever i feel like i know i'm gonna like it all right cool uh let's move on then uh promising young woman are we gonna get controversial here or are we all in agreement let's see the controversy i just i i don't really understand why anybody would dislike it i don't um i think a lot of people find the ending me and joelle kind of talked about it a bit in a conversation we had but um i think a lot of people are like upset that like you can say like oh the police will solve everything Mm. or there could be the interpretation of like oh yes she got her revenge it's so fulfilling even though like the past hour and a half just showed how unfulfilling it is to have that like kind of sudden switch of her getting successfully getting that revenge as if she had it planned all along. I think some critics have said that the potentiality of it having closure with that can be a little detrimental to the experience of sexual assault survivors. But the main one I've seen is about around the police thing of like police can solve things and solve everything within um, sexual assault matters because it ends with the police capturing the guy, right? Um, Spoiler alert. So yeah, that's the two I've read about. Um, I, mean, I don't another, know. Another. Oh, should we say what 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 it is on our list? Oh uh, yeah, it's not on mine. So <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, it's number nine on mine. It's number mm-hmm. six for me. Number ten for me. Uh, Stephanie, Stephanie. I, yeah, we can't hear you. Oh yeah, Stephanie's. There you go. Uh, there we go. <laughs> number three for me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it was number six on Jim's. All right, uh, Stephanie, you have it on the at the highest. Yes. Go I ahead. Do. I mean, I do, like, I think everybody here, we have to, like, commend Emerald Fennel for doing this. Like, it's very bold, very brash, and I have to, I really have to give her a hats off for doing this kind of thing. And Carrie Mulligan is so great, and Bo Burnham's casting is overdue. But I think I appreciate how much there's, like, the theme of, like, names in the film that is really touched on a lot and how, like, everybody who um, had been uh, harassed or assaulted by Harvey Weinstein, like, his name will be attached to them forever now. And so, and there's all this stuff about, like, hey, do you remember Nina's name? Do you remember Nina's name? And, like, that stuff I thought was really well done. And then, like, obviously the, I liked that, there was one of the one of the targets that Carrie Mulligan has is a woman because I think that says a lot about how women are also complicit in victim blaming sometimes. And I think that was really important. 
that I also really appreciated. And then the whole, like, the color palette and the soundtrack were just to die for. I love how it was just so bright and pastel-y. That was, that was so great. And obviously the movie was about, like, sexual assault and how that is horrible for so many reasons. Like, it, it didn't just affect Nina. It had, like, resounding effects through Nina's friends, Nina's family, and things like that. But I think at the end of the day... I like I realized there are people who were dissatisfied with the ending and they and it doesn't like I wanted to see Carrie Mulligan kill a rapist. I really did and she she doesn't. Like the end of the day, the more there's no like one correct way to represent trauma or things anything like that and so which is why like encouraging people like Emerald Fennel and like otherwise to could be like I think I care a lot. What is it? The Michaela Cole, Cole TV show? Mhm. I don't. I may I, destroy you. I, I, no, I may destroy you. I think. I may destroy. I I care a lot. Is the Rosamund Pike movie? I may destroy you. But like things like oh, that. Oh gosh, people, I care a lot. Having Sorry. people come forward with their own expressions of how they like that kind of thing, I think, is so important. Like, yeah, I I think Promising Young Woman was great. I thought it was delicious and so bold, and I loved it. But like, I get that someone else might not have, and that's okay. But we should have more people coming forward with stories like this because they're so important. And Emerald Fennel, like, again, hats off. I think she did great. That was such a, a bold directorial debut. And she's in The Crown. Like, what the <laughs> heck? What a, like, crazy resume she's got. That's she's just, also like, called the mid... She's also in Called the Midwife. She's in Anna Karenina, too. I was <laughs> Hell like... <yeah>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Girl, you have been busy. But... <laughs> Yes, I loved, I liked, there were a lot of themes in the movie that I liked. I like how the movie was done technically as well. And I'm, that's just my, my hot take. I was, it was fun. Anyone else? I really, really liked what you said about like, there's no correct or one way to present trauma. And that's why I feel like any criticism of this film is just kind of weird to me. Like, you can't, like, I, I don't know if it's autobiographical, but it just feels weird to like, critique the presentation or representation of something that is so personal for so many people yeah I think a lot of people have had some trouble with kind of watching it like it's very triggering for them so I can see why someone not vibe well with this film I do think personally I am of the interpretation of how hollow kind of justice is um Mm -hmm. and how like that's my way of viewing it but I did have trouble. It took me a while to kind of solidify my agreement with that. Like it took me a while to be like the film is saying that. I could understand people viewing this in a totally different lens that could be totally problematic. Mm -hmm. Like saying that justice can be served, that this was just a fun rape revenge film where like the victim comes out on top type of situation and I I can see where people can see that because I was in the mode of like questioning whether this film does enough to demonstrate how hollow that justice is and how no like just because the policeman caught him doesn't mean like everything is going to be saved I kind of struggled with defining that the film did enough to get that message across. I personally think it did in the end after like thinking about it a lot, but it I can totally understand where people are coming from in terms of that. 
And like, I know a lot of people were pretty just, it's totally understandable to like feel kind of traumatized by like Cassie. Cassie, is that her name? Dying yeah. at the end. Like, especially the way in like which it occurs. Yeah. 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 In this yeah. stylized manner, like, yeah. rape is no joke. Death is no joke. You can't really, like, it takes a certain precision to kind of get away with dark stylization, this irony that I yeah. think Benel is playing with and I think is done pretty well, but like can totally be interpreted the wrong way as well. And I can totally understand if someone interpreted it differently. So yeah, yeah. that's just my two cents on it. I think it's a great film as well. I totally agree with you, Stephanie, that like, I mean, critique is always abound with anything that gets produced. And I don't think Emerald Fennell is against anyone critiquing her film unless it's for that stupid thing against Carrie Mulligan about how she wasn't pretty enough to play the part like that is not a fun that's not a good critique but like I think there has been pretty good critique against it but I think we need more people to create films like that so that there is more of a space to engage in a meaningful conversation if anything this film has created meaningful conversation in the way that and has kind of, I like to say, I like to compare this to Joker in a way and that like, it does what Joker thought it could do, which is like create a conversation in a meaningful way in a very stylized format. So yeah, that's just my two cents. How about Joel or Rohan or Piper again, if you want to respond. Yeah, I mean, like, I, 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 I yeah, like the choices in here were extremely bold and courageous. And it's definitely something that makes me want to see more of Emerald Fennell's work. Yeah, like, I, I think I appreciate sort of, it, 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 I, I agree. Like, I think good movies have dialogue, you know, you, you, there's reason to talk about them and there's a reason to remember them. Um, and I think stories like this are very valuable in having those conversations. And I think like sort of, I, I, I agree, like the hollow justice-ness of sort of the complications of rage and sort of how you want to unleash that and how and whether it's worth it or not, despite how much of it there is within you, like that, that sort of really complicated feeling is like something that, you know, it, it, it's, it's not it, it's very universal, even though this is a very specific situation and sort of that that's what I took out of it. But I agree. Like, I, I think the, I, the thing with the, the five bloods in this that I've seen criticism of is like also the tone. And for me, like, like I said, with the, like, I, I, I've seen people criticize the tone as being wildly inconsistent. Um, well, not wildly, but like, you know, you'll have a very somber, serious moment. And then the next, you know, it's Bo Burnham and Carrie Mulligan, like dancing in a pharmacy. And Hell for yeah. me, yeah. And like, I, I have no problem with that at all. And I, I like it a lot, but, and for me that I, I actually appreciate that about it. But um, yeah, I really like the film. Um, I, I certainly think it's, great film to be nominated in an, in an Oscars year like certainly one of the most uh, thought-provoking ones I've seen in a long time that like I'm sure like as more people see it and hopefully win something then like more conversation will happen so and if anything I think those shifts in tone kind of complement like, the overall message and that like these like little glimmers of hope from like the patriarchy or just guys in general are really just like a gilded thing so like fuck men and like yeah cool like also <laughs> fuck the oscars but at least like 
stuff like this is again like being put out there to like be recognized and like spur these sorts of conversations so yeah i mean like that movie really did make me super angry like listening to that the guy at the end when he's tied on the bed and he's all like it was hard for me too i was like good guy oh my god like she does she really (laughs) does capture that kind of entitlement Mm -hmm. that you will see a lot from like from people in those positions that can like get away with things like that and it like infuriates me and i like i hope people see this and i hope people realize that 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 is abundant yeah. and that it's despicable yeah and i mean also like the just small thing the casting choices like oh, in addition yes. to over and i'm it's like you got um forget the guy's name but the guy that played mclovin you got the guy <laughs> from like new you got max greenfield from new girl like all oh, those yeah. like small little choices Seth Cohen. It, yeah <laughs> exactly like these are people that pop culturally like we trust as like quote unquote good guys and to subvert that and to use that casting i think it's just another brilliant thing on top of everything we've discussed but i mean like we all knew what was gonna happen with bo burnham but man i was (laughs) i mean when they were singing uh stars are blind is it stars are blind or love is blind by paris Hilton? yeah stars are blind i like Uh i fell for a little bit i was like Okay, this is cute. Sing your Paris yeah. song in a grocery mm-hmm. pharmaceutical store. Go ahead and, and do that. Boys, hell yeah! Oh, Great use of music. Opening with boys, yes. Also, talk that remix of Toxic A plus A plus yeah. all was the way. So great. Oh yeah, fucking amazing! Gosh, like oh. I think I, I I got to some point in the film and I was like, they have to use Toxic in this movie. They, it fits so well. I hope they do, and then they did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, all right oh go ahead piper sorry what i was gonna say i really appreciate like the ambiguity of the situations like i remember particularly um the scene where she's talking to the like dean of the medical school or whatever it is mm-hmm. um i'm just like i'm i feel like i'm so gullible um like i kind of fell for the president or dean or whatever like i fell for her reasoning that like you know you can't investigate everything or like it would look bad or whatever. And then I appreciate like this film and also um, I May Destroy You in how they show like the complexity of situations like this, but then also still have like a definitive, like this is wrong and you should stick up for yourself and for other women in this situation. It's kind of like a, like a life guide for me because I feel like easily swayed by like manipulative people. Like I would not know what to do if someone like Michaela Cole isn't telling me, you know? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was, I was ready. I was like, this is really sweet. I'm so happy she found someone. Totally ready to let him off the hook, but. <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> All right, so we have two more left, guys. We're, we're moving at Roadrunner pace, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the next one we're going to talk about is the coveted Minari. So Minari is my number one. It's my it number is one. Stephanie's number one. My number my one. Number one. <laughs> wow, we should have fucking put that one last. Joe, Jim said to do well, Mo- no man land is on more of our lists, but Minari is higher on okay. less of our lists. Well, I think okay. I mean the conversation with No Man Land might have more to s- not to say, but like I think like I think we should do division. 
Okay, let's just continue with Minari. So it's my number one, Stephanie's number one, Rohan's number number one, it's Joelle's number two, and Isaac's number one, and Jim's number one. (laughs) Piper, did you not Piper, conform. Oh my god, it's not on my list, but I really liked it. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I loved the grandmother. I just liked it. You conform. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, it's on Piper's list all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, number, number one. Look who's jumping on the bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> Have some opinions, Piper. <laughs> some good opinions. And I can't have an opinion. <laughs> all right, Minari, who wants to lead us off since it's all most of our number one? Hi, it was really good. I was like, I went in and I was expecting that there was going to be like a like a racism narrative i think i like i thought they were like oh i'm like oh i'm gonna watch them uh, suffer from white people and that didn't happen like thankfully and i was so relieved and like the soundtrack is so good definitely on my rotation now and then the other thing that i really liked about it is i love the generational differences that the film shows between the grandma the parents and the children and how those though like the grandma struggling to connect with her grandchildren and the grandchildren like trying to figure things out and the parents trying to figure things out and that was just so like and the film is so beautiful also hats off to the grandma the actress her name starts with a y and young jung young jung yun yeah, um, and Steven Yoon. Like they're the way that they're just like trying to get by and stay true to themselves and everything. So so well done. And I cry was, this was like the first good film of 2020 that I had seen. Like I had watched so many like shitty Netflix movies. And this was like I cried so much. I was like, thank God, my list isn't going to look like total trash. <laughs> um and then so there's all that. And then there's this one scene where it's like right after the grandma is, um, she comes to live with the family and she brings some Korean food with some Korean like ingredients or some Korean. And then the, the, the wife is like, she just starts crying when she gets the, cause she like can't find them anywhere. And I was like, I relate to that so much like the importance of food and everything. Like I, that was like such a well, done moment and that's I'll, I'll stop i think there i was watching an interview with um you you john young i hope i'm pronouncing her name right the grandma the person who made that grandma and i kind of relates to what you said about the generational thing because she was talking about how asian second generation asian americans so i guess like me and i think a lot of us in this um, conversation relate to what is going on with this film deeply because immigrants who migrated here, she was saying how they kind of have an idea of what they want to do and they're going to stick with it with their own identity. But second generation Asian Americans are born American, are born in America. So they think they're American, but they do not embody anything that is of American. So they're constantly being told that they do not belong in the situation in which they want to so desperately. And I think the generational difference that Minari captures in that is like so perfect. And that's why it resonates. Because you have Steven Yoon's character who's like, I'm going to do the American dream. Fuck anyone else who's getting in my way kind of attitude. That's this tunnel vision. 
but he doesn't really understand how that is affecting kind of the people around him and like their own identity crisis that's going on because fundamentally these people do not look like what America thinks they are, like Americans think they are. And I just kind of found that quote to be so resonant with kind of the overall themes and what this film is really exploring in that mythos of the American dream and how affecting just kind of all the societal curses in a way, um, or kind of how all the different societal views on that American dream kind of affect people who don't belong within it, but who desperately want to be within it. I mean, I'll just simply say I saw so much of my family in this more so than in a lot, almost any film that I've seen from the, yeah, the generational conflicts to sort of the, the, the culture of which culture you quote unquote belong to or the culture you identify with that clash and the scene where Yun Jun Yun and Alan Kim and the, the, the kids and the grandma are on the road and she's walking away. I just ball my eyes yeah. out no and, like i watched it, it i watched it i watched it a second time and i'm like i'm not gonna cry like i'm not gonna cry and then i cried and it was like i i i, I cried very i think this and dick johnson were the only two that i think i cried at this year and like i think the reason is just because i, I it's just so personal and it's so beautiful and it's tender and it there, there's there it, it's raw and honest but there's no real anger i mean there's anger but there's not real anger from external yeah. forces it's just everything that's contained in like how it's depicted like you you, you have the, the the father um telling the kid to go get the stick i've seen that i've related to that it, it, it's stuff like that it, where it's just it's very honest but but it's not at the expense of any character and i think that that's just beautiful and representation yo let's get it I think it just does so well with like obviously there's so many external factors in that like family feeling the way they do but this film is still so internal and really specific to this family and I think it just shows kind of the importance of films like this like specific notions often end up feeling universal but this film isn't trying to be universal nor nostalgic i think it finds a perfect balance of just creating this family that is going through the hardships that the american dream has put them into the idea of the american dream has put them into and i just i just love the way how lee isaac chung kind of captures the beauty and like the trouble troubling factors of it all in like his cinematography is so fucking good it is so lyrical it is so intimate it's cozy i suppose but it's so it's so good so yeah yeah, no. I love the way the film like manages to capture in like a way how like everything that we like try to believe in is just like deeply mythical, whether that be religion or the American dream or even like interpersonal love. And like I think like that is reflected in a lot of ways in, in the atmosphere of the film. Like it's like the camera feels like it's floating a lot of the time. Okay. When I was going into the film, I was expecting it to be a lot more like dialogue heavy. But like a lot of these scenes, like we're just like observing of like how subtle like a damage can like infiltrate like your existence. So um, that was very coherent. But yeah, the shot of when the water finally turns on is like broke me. Yeah, it's so it's so nothing. But like in my head, it was just like 
the way you compose it in that moment, I even for, kind of forget when it happens, but I just have this visceral memory of like the camera kind of coming into the sink and watching the sink turn on. Fantastic. <laughs> Does anyone else have anything else to say? I mean, I think Minari is like an incredible film. It is my only five of the year. I just think there's just so much nuance and grace and intimacy it imbues on just kind of human existence, but especially human existence for like minorities and first and second generation immigrants kind of falling into kind of this mythos that is sometimes humanity um, and just the interpersonal relationships between all the actors and creating that family just feel so raw and real and I love that little kid Alan Kim so much I want to just give him a hug <laughs> when he drops the cabinet on his foot I was like no yeah I literally wish this this film was a person and this and that that that, that the film would hug me for like the rest of my life like it's just I could live with it forever. Like, it's great. Mm -hmm. And I think Stu Min Yung plays kind of stoic tenderness so well because you, like, always feel kind of bad for this guy, but he's just like, I can do it. I'm alpha male. But you're mm -hmm. just like, oh. And then yeah. and we talked about you, Jin Young. And oh, Paul, sorry, Joel. Paul's character, like, that was, like, tragic. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Kelly Reichardt collaborator. Yeah. Will Patton. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, gotta throw her in there. But um yeah. And Yoon Jun Young just like telling Alan Kim's character, like, you are strong. That that moment was really hard for me because I think your parent like there is kind of this always thing of like your parents being so protective of you and being unwilling to kind of let you go and be just kind of do what a kid wants to do. And just the grandma kind of being like, don't think you're going to die and go to heaven. That's dumb. Being able, being strong, you are strong. You can run around. Kind of just like the contradictions within family and like the pros and cons and the ups and downs. I thought it was really beautiful. Yeah, the, the scene with the grandma at the end and then when Alan Kim's, Kim's character like starts running, like that's like by far my yeah. favorite scene of the year. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh mm -hmm. fuck, he's running. Like just something as small as running. I was like, yeah, oh my gosh. I could cry right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we're running on fumes, but we are on our last movie. Nomad Land. Let's yeah. go. Nomad Land, which is on all our lists. Yeah, I'm the only one with it at number one. Yeah, yeah. so Joel's number one. It's my number eight. My number four. My number nine. It's my number five. Stephanie. Number two. Two. Okay, Joel, go. Two. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's Jim's number two. But yeah, um, I fucking love this movie. Um, I think it portrays like Americana and like that strange relationship we all have with this weird, fucking horrible country in like a really interesting way. <laughs> I don't know. I like a lot of the critique of the film, I guess that what I've seen at least is just like how it doesn't like tackle as much as like the capitalism aspect um, that I guess is like more heavily featured in the book. But I don't know, for me, I think my takeaway, um, I mean, obviously like the Amazon portion is there and like it has messaging, but I think like it, I found it more just seeing like how like Fern's characters like going through like this like personal revolution 
and just like completely lost at the beginning of the film like everything that was like the basis of her life is like now erased like is literally like ceased to exist and then just like seeing how like she manages to like piece everything together or realize that things just like can't be perfectly put together I think was just like sort of magical but like it's achieved in a way that's like super grounded in terms of like the storytelling and the filmmaking itself in that like these like are real people and like real stories and like uh, there's just like so many moments where like I don't know that just like stuck with me for like so long and just seeing like how all these different people have like managed to find and create their own like lanes of like hope and promise in their own lives or like just being dismissive of the idea as a whole like basically just seeing how like people are coming to terms with their own existence and like finding out that right it's just like film portraying the deep differences within each of us that like continually tie us all together i don't know i love it yeah <laughs> anyway else yeah i agree the the whole bit where they're like uh, i never say goodbye i only say i will see you down the road that was mm-hmm. i really like that and like with the, like you what you mentioned about sort of like a existentialism thing but every the nomads have to be like i'm very struck by nomadic life because all the nomad, nomads like they spend a lot of time alone even though they clearly have a community and so it's like you really have to be at peace with yourself you have to be okay with being by yourself and alone in that kind of situation and like a lot of the people that i know and even myself who like have a tendency to like fill in like that silence or that space with other people and things to do. They don't have that kind of peace with themselves. And that was like, I admired that a lot from this movie. And like Frances McDormand is great and it's really pretty. And the whole, the looming capitalism, it's there. And there's obviously something, a statement being made there. Otherwise just like a really gorgeous, contemplative film i think yeah i i think chloe Zhao is a fucking liar i don't think there's a script for this film it I, I, you this feels so real that like i i i i think she's lying and or made up a fake script because like the, the, especially at the end that that last exchange between fern and bob bob talking about his son like oh my god like that that okay i lied i cried three times that time too but <laughs> that time too i cried but it's okay um, to be in touch with your feelings rohan just embrace it no embrace I'm toxic masculinity <laughs> marcus aurelius all the way no um it's a uh, uh yeah and like just the fact that like like francis mcdormand and Dave, david Stratham are like the only two like quote unquote maybe I, I i don't know if there are other actors but like the fact that there's so many of the actual nomads were included i thought was a beautiful sentiment and just i think there's a reason why chloe Zhao is an amazing director and like she just she just is in touch so much with people and like the fact that she like loves living out in the middle of nowhere and meeting people in the middle of nowhere and connecting with them is is great and the cinematography is amazing and it's just an amazing film. Like I, I, I watched it a second time last week, and like, damn, like I, I'm almost worthless. Like it's just great. Paper Isaac. Um, mm. <laughs> I'll just add a quick comment. I think looking back now, especially since I rushed my top ten list, 
I probably would have put it above Wonder Woman. <laughs> That's good. Clean. That's good. Yeah. Wait, I did a happy notice. <laughs> I think I would have shifted it. It probably would have been like I don't know four or five. For context, we we made some executive decisions <laughs> about what to include and what not to. That forced Isaac to make some last minute decisions that he may not have completely thought through. Yeah. yeah, well, that's good to you know. That red tape. I guess that's my comment. I would have put it up higher, but I, I really like it. I said earlier, I like personal growth stories, and this is definitely a personal growth story. Yeah. <laughs> we are reaching a good four hours feeling... into our recording, so sorry, Jim. I'm reaching here. <laughs> Two or three part podcast. <laughs> She might need a salary after this one. She yeah, <laughs> might need a salary after this. We'll, we'll, we'll just do what Zach Snyder intended, just break it up into four sections and release on HBO Max every week. <laughs> it's 3 a.m. I just want to go to bed. <laughs> Piper, did you have anything? Yeah, um, I took a class uh, last quarter on like poverty and um, homelessness in like Seattle. And then we could kind of write about anything for our final paper. So I chose to like do media representation of homelessness and use Nomadland as like an example of a really positive representation. So I read the book and rewatched the film and like got thinking about like what kind of political work it does. And I think it's like very overtly critical of capitalism. Like the first time I watched it, I was like super depressed and I didn't rate it as highly as I did the second time because I was like, this film made me so sad. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I I love it. I think the book was not too good, honestly. Like mm-hmm. really, like I think it was really impressive that the the woman like lived with the nomads for like three years and, um, you know, gained their trust and like learned a lot of these stories and stuff and brought this subculture to like, like the wider, you know, mainstream America, but I didn't think the book was all that like informative or insightful, but I just think it's really amazing what Chloe Zhao and Francis McDormand were able to do. Cause Francis like read the book and then approached Chloe, didn't she? Like the, the, the um, book is obviously nonfiction and just departs so much from the film that I just think it's a really, really impressive, really incredible work. Um, and I really like the like the balance of tones. Like I said earlier, like it's not like it 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 acknowledges that capitalism sucks and that some people have to work in Amazon warehouses, you know, and some people die of cancer and stuff like that. Um, but there's also just like moments of incredible beauty that just show you that you know, like that one woman says, like she was gonna I don't know turn on all the carbon monoxide or whatever in the trailer and kill herself and like. I don't know, you step out in the badlands and maybe maybe the idea of suicide isn't as, um, you know, alluring anymore. Like there's like, like Swanky's character where she's like going to see the fucking swallows. That shit broke me. Oh my God. Yeah. And when she says yeah. video, yeah. I was like, all right, yeah, life is not that bad, I suppose. But yeah, no, there's just so many like small little like quiet moments in this film that like really stuck out to me for some reason. Like towards the beginning or like New Year's, or some holiday where there's fireworks and ferns sitting in her van alone just like with like a little like new year's hat on francis mcdormand's performance in this is obviously amazing but when she reads the summer's day shakespeare poem and then it cuts 
and then it's a shot where she's like in a van or whatever and there's like the sunset it's like wow like this shit is like deeply grounded but also very spiritual and that's my shit so yeah <laughs> this yeah it's just so i think it's really graceful and compassionate well at the same time has its moments of critique i want to stop there on that <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think the moments, all the sequences in which they're just, she's just driving are so lyrical and beautiful and peaceful. I think the best word for me to describe this is just, it has so much grace for humanity, despite kind of the ugliness in which Zhao does show. I'm not going to deny that. Just the way she kind of depicts kind of human emotion in pretty creative ways. I love this shot of the camera just still had like is a still shot of like a pretty furnished living room and it is able to like invoke alienation and loneliness from furnished items that often invoke like homely tones. Just the way it kind of has that oppositional effect on Fern just kind of because of the way she views life and kind of and just how Jawa has grace for both types of living is beautiful and if only um the world could have as much compassion as chloe jowls that's a good thing to leave it on yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right it is we have been recording (laughs) oh yes all right um so yeah as joel said we're gonna run through our top tens because if you sat through this fucking four and a half hour long (laughs) thank you but you get to know now yeah now (laughs) you you have like seen the progression of delirium in audio (laughs) format really (laughs) (laughs) what are the five stages of grief again (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's just what has been heard on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, so yeah, we're going to list our top 10s from 10 to 1. So um, Cynthia, my top 10 films of 2020 on March 30th, 10.44 p.m. Because I know this might change at a later date and time. 10, I have Soul. 9, I have On the Rocks. 8, Nomadland. 7, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. 6, Dick Johnson is Dead. 5, Another Round. 4, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. 3, Earth's Cow. Kelly Reichardt is a God watch all her stuff two time one minari uh joel do you want to go next yeah so that's me uh number 10 at promising young woman nine i'm thinking of ending things eight on the rocks seven another round six first cow five never rarely sometimes always four time three dick johnson is dead two minari one nomadland Stephanie. I have 10 as Palm Springs, 9 as Shirley, 8 as Another Round, 7 as Emma, 6 Soul, 5 Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, 4 Sound of Metal, 3 Promising Young Woman, 2 Nomadland, and 1 Minari. All right, Piper. Okay, I have 10 One Night in Miami, 9 Emma, 8 Another Round, Seven, Defy Bloods. Six, Time. Five, Nomadland. Four, Lover's Rock. Three, And Then We Danced. Two, Baccarat. And one, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Isaac. Okay, so I have... <laughs> Everyone makes fun of my list. 
she, enjoy what you want to enjoy. Come on. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Just uh, deal with all the laughter of all everyone else. But okay. Ten, I have Onward. Nine, I have Nomadland. Eight, I have Wonder Woman 1984. Seven, I have Palm Springs. Uh, six, I have Promising Young Woman. Five, I have Sound of Metal. Uh, four, I have Time. Three, I have Soul. Two, I have Emma. And then one, I have Minari. Rohan. All right. So for 10, I have Small Axe Education. Nine, I have Promising Young Woman. Eight, I have First Cow. Seven, I have Small Axe, Red, White, and Blue. Six, I have I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Five is Soul. Four is Nomadland. Three is Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Two is Dick Johnson is Dead. And one, the only Minari. And we're going to read off Jim's because he has unfortunately left the podcast recording <laughs> which is understandable <laughs> considering how long we have gone um jim's 10 is borat subsequent movie film nine first cow yay kelly reichardt <laughs> eight the invisible man seven on the rocks six promising young woman five i have yeah five sound of metal yes yeah four soul three i'm thinking of ending things two Nomadland, and one Minari. We did it! 2020 in films is wrapped, according to us. Oscars, what are they? They always get the awards wrong. They actually might get it right this year. They did get it right last year. Hopefully, 2021 is better for society in general. (laughs) Um, 2020 had its great films, but we can only hope for a better 2021 in films and in life in general so yeah um you can find us at on facebook on as film uw film club on twitter and instagram as film club uw and i think that's all our social media so check us out there and if you want to use our promo codes that we have we have wix.com mac weldon blue apron all the good stuff we have everything. So nice. yeah, sponsor us. <laughs> so thanks for listening and hope to see you. See see you guys. Talk to you guys later. <laughs> see ya. Bye.